Live from the Perfect Weekly Studios in Fargo, North Dakota, here is breaking news from Headmaster Huggles. My fellow Pothuanians, good evening. The time has come to let the community in on a little secret, if you haven't already heard it, you know, through the grapevine, or if you don't read my handy-dandy little proclamations. Many of you may have noticed that Jen has not been on the podcast very much lately and has been around the forum even less. I mean, she, you know, up until very recently has been our deputy headmistress, and I, I routinely find her wandering around the forum with a map and a flashlight. So, you know, Jen, Jen's always, you know, had many, many responsibilities, but even lately, you know, Jen has been distracted and many people, you know, were, were getting concerned. So we decided to come up with a cover story. So we told everyone that Jen locked herself in her car and, and you believed this and, and really, why wouldn't you? But after a while, even, you know, the, mo- the most naive of people would think, you know, it's been six weeks. Surely she should have found a way out by now. So we told everyone that Jen had an allergic reaction to her cell phone, and everyone believed it. I mean, I was delivering the news, and I even believed it. But enough of the lies. Over the past six weeks, I've been secretly preparing a documentary entitled The Life of Jen. It's my hope to chronicle Jen's life so that future generations will know we're not making any of this up. She really existed. Now, as part of this documentary, I've been forced to go undercover. Lady Chi loaned me her trench coat and her dark sunglasses and her blonde wig, and quite frankly, I looked like a moron, but Jen did not catch on to the fact that I was, in fact, you know, well, basically her boss. She really just, you know, right over her head. So I've been spying on Jen, her husband. I've been videotaping her with her dogs, and she trips a lot more than she tells us she does. Let's just make that very clear. And, uh, well, here's what happened. A couple of weeks ago, Jen and her husband, uh, James, they went out on their boat. They have a boat. They, they live near a big lake, big lake, the, the, the lake of Texas, I believe it's it's called by, you know, natives of, you know, Texas. And they and they went out into the middle of the lake, you know, with their oars and, and their assorted um, lake gear. And I decided, you know, anything could happen because if you listen to the podcast, you know, Jen boats, you know, usually do not equal good things. So I put my snorkel gear on and I pursued Jen into the lake and I came into some very frightening information. Um, I found out the secret that day. I witnessed the secret that day and it's 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 tearing me up a little bit even talking about it now so what i'd like to do is i'm going to play you the audio recording of of what i discovered that day it's um it's quite graphic and hopefully this will explain you know the secret we've been keeping about jen for several weeks and and oh by the way i found the audio confusing so i included a um a monologue for your convenience i like monologues uh jen We've made it through your appendix almost bursting in an airplane. We've made it through your car running down the road with you in hot pursuit. Uh, what can I really say about your notable efforts to sing you know, the, the national anthem? Um, we were there for smut giving. And um, well, quite frankly, you, know, you called me at 2.30 in the morning because your flight was delayed. And I found that you know, very nice. But we also made it through Dark Thursday with you. Dark Thursday is the day that, that you thought you were going to die and had several weeks to live. And 
you know, it turned out you just had gas. But, you know, it was a very scary day. And after living through that day, I'm very pleased to be able to release this secret audio recording to your to your friends and fans. And we all love you. And this one's for you. And I just can't thank you enough for letting me witness, you know, this 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 moment in history. James, my husband, my poor, lovely husband. I love you. We have some unfinished business. I'm an awkward, bumbling <laughs> idiot most of the time. Yeah. I want to be more slutty. Yeah, okay. If any girl has a pole, they automatically feel sexy. Oh. I want one in my bedroom. <laughs> it gets me so excited for the guy I married. Well, that changes everything. The waves crash and the wind howl. Magic, unspoken and ageless, ignited like a candle in the darkness. Magic only two souls know when a third is miraculously created. Bumper took a bow wow. So I managed to knock myself out. We're gonna have a baby! Yeah! Tell you! This is so exciting. We are gonna have a baby! If I die, you are never allowed to remarry ever. I'm the only woman that you can ever be with. Give me a break. We're in a boat. We're having a baby. Hey, I don't really know what Hey everyone, Dave from the forum here. This is Sue Duxfoot. The following episode has been edited for content. Edited for content. There are going to be two episodes of Puffwa this week. We don't really know why that is, but there are rumors it involves a watermelon, the wilting gun, and a herd of migrating antelope. But it had something to do with Richard. Or maybe Kez has started to sing some Australian naughty tune. Who knows? To quote our beloved Lady Chi, can you guys hear me roll my eyes? Okay, put it this way. The last time we had a restricted episode, it's because somebody was drunk and somebody else was talking about Hermione and a The full and uncut episode containing additional chapter analysis, Peoncast, and the story of Ryan trying to sell his bedroom set is available in the restricted section over at potterfickforum.com. To get access, register for an account and email Ryan at potterfickweekly.com for access. In your email, you must state that you're 18 or old. And no lying, because we'll find out. Otherwise, enjoy this selection of clips. That's it for me, so happy listening, everyone. And enjoy the puffois. I know I will. Bye. Previously on Potterfic Weekly. And welcome back to Potterfic Weekly. This is Ryan. I'm Jen. I'm Lady Chi. And I'm Jen's mom. Oh my gosh, this is so exciting. We would never ever say Snape scathed. We would say Snape said scathingly. 640,000 years ago, that third of America blew up. Boys and girls, (laughs) there's a thing called erectile dysfunction. Oh my god. Yeah, but there's also a thing called Vitrificus Totalis. Perfect Weekly, not only entertaining, but educational as well. (laughs) Do you own a pig? No, but I do have a goat. Really? We don't have a lawnmower. What's the goat's name? Bernard. Oh my god, I'm not gonna lie. I have have no idea what's going on. Somebody explain to me what just happened. Have you been here the whole time? I've been here the whole time, but I can't remember what was just said. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Poor Bernard was struck and killed by a bolt of lightning. Okay, you guys are the ones who obviously laugh during people's funerals. I wore a really big hat. And I 
can't run after my car. <laughs> I've just finished taking a test on what's your seduction style. I have got to take that test. I don't know what that noise was that came out of Gambin's mouth. Well, I think it caused some women in the audience to become infertile. Oh, I love the social intercourse so married. It gets me so excited for the guy I married. This is like the Manhattan Project. Superman is Moses. Honestly, don't you people read? Okay. Oh, the two Superman is not Moses. Moses is dependent on Aaron. See, Batman depends on Robin. If you're going to do that. Moses the guy that was lost in the desert for like 40 years? That just rhymes fire confidence and crime-fighting ability. There's like auditoriums with movies that you can go in and sit and watch. Not while on the toilet. There's no way we have wank. We don't care enough about the fans of to have wank. Don't take offense to this, guys. You guys are the most dysfunctional of the people. These are really stupid people. Like, I have a lot to learn from these people. And now, Potter Vic Weekly. Can I just tell you that Melinda and I are having dinner at the end of the month? Tina is coming to me this now. Like, Melinda is driving, like, 100 miles. I am driving, like, maybe 20. Tina is driving, like... I swear to God, like, ten miles to get to this place. She's booking a hotel room because she thinks she'll be too inebriated to make it <laughs> No. <laughs> I had to help her find a hotel room. I'm like, oh, Tina, you... Are you- I love Tina. Huh? Oh, my goodness. Can I'm going to send her and Jules and Melinda all happy Mother's Day personal messages because they were all my mommies this year. We should. Every single one of them. All you have to do is go... I need a mommy. <laughs> like, that's it. Brian, I'm just, I'm flying up to have dinner with y'all. All right, that's Damn fine. it. Well, you go, okay. girl. Let's get Jen to in here. Oh, Chi, can you copy and paste what we wrote into this Skype conference thing? Because I closed mine accidentally. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, dear. Why are we singing Christmas carols? It is May. The one I couldn't get out of my head the other day was, um, I saw Mama kiss and Santa Claus. She didn't see me creep down the stairs to have a pee. She, she thought that I was ducked up in my bedroom fast asleep. Then I saw Mama kissing Santa Claus. Uh, what is the last part of that? Na, 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 na. Um, Something is beard so snowy white is how it ends, but I can't think of how. Really? Well, yeah. laugh it would have been if Daddy had only seen <laughs> Mama is in Santa Claus last night. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh, Jen, Jen, after 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 the podcast tonight. We yes. need to sit down and figure out a good time for me to come out to Texas. Yes, we do. Yes. Because uh, the stars at night are big and bright. Deep in Deep the heart of Texas. Texas. Oh, my God. We, okay, when we did the Texas Bowl last year, two years ago, whatever year it was, at K-State, it went the to a bowl game. Bowl? Yeah, it's in Houston. And oh, yeah. uh, they had us play Deep in the Heart of Texas, and oh, my God. It was awful. <laughs> It was deep terrible. in the heart of 
Texas. Well, because you got to get the whole, like, Leanne Roms yodel yeah. thing Well, it's going. better than, okay, you know what the state song of Kansas is? What? Oh, give me a home where the buffalo roam and the deer and the antelope play. Where seldom is heard a discouraging word, and the skies are not cloudy all day. <laughs> He's always buttoning something or unbuttoning something. Home, so true. Home, home, the range. Dun, dun, dun. Where the deer and the antelope play. Dun, dun. Where seldom is heard a discouraging word. And the skies are not cloudy, cloudy all day. day. <laughs> oh, on the range. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Terrible. Deep in the heart of Texas. <laughs> What's another? What is the one that we always used to sing? Ah, what was it? It was one of those real country... The same old, you know, about the, the fields and the cows and the... Yeah. <laughs> I can't think of it. Was it that? I, did you ch- did you laugh at this line? Everyone knows Mendelssohn was the greatest wizard composer of all time. <laughs> Thank you, Luna. Oh, <laughs> Music majors goodness. everywhere appreciate that you know that. <laughs> Oh, I had to play Mendelssohn. What did I have to play of his? Uh, songs I'm Without sure Words. Yeah, Sweet which one did you do? Yeah, that's uh, Sweet piano. Remembrance. Yeah. Sweet. Oh, it's Swing Low. And it's Swing, swing Low. Sweet Terrier. Yeah. Okay, that was Jen playing <laughs> you always had to, uh, Goat. You know, because you had to, like, pretend that you're on the chariot. (laughs) Come aboard to carry me home. (laughs) Swing low, sweet chariot. (laughs) Coming for to carry me home. That's better. We always had to do a wheel the circle. Be unbroken. Bye and bye, Lord, bye and bye. There's a better home away in the sky, Lord, in the sky. This is going to be a good night, I can tell already. Sometimes you get a feeling. When you guys do With All My Love, I'm going to encourage drinking. (laughs) I think it'll encourage, I think it'll help. But after, but after, I can see after, it now. Welcome back to Perfect Weekly, everyone. I'm Melinda Leo. I'm Aspen in the sunlight, and I'm pretty good as a piano. Do you know my boss at work? I work in a unit with like a dozen people, and we have a morning email memo that goes around saying who's out sick and what we have to do that day and inspirational words of the day. My boss actually put in the email, Ryan has lost total control of his home. Make him think he matters here. I'm <laughs> <laughs> like, thank you so much, you son of a... That was nice. I like that. <laughs> You can take your you, you can take your TPS report and shove it. Buddy. All of the men in my office who have been in positions of power are hard asses because when they go home they have teenage daughters and they can get away with nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's the theme of our office, so it's kind of. 
I feel so badly for H. Wimsey in this interview. She probably, like, will have no idea what to make of us. Oh, please. If she can write this stuff, she's going to love us. Can we get some guys in on this? Is Phil available? (laughs) Oh, my God. We have to have Phil. You have to get Phil back for the next story we do. Can we get a hold of him for Danger? Well, I, What's I, next one? Are we doing Living with Danger? And then... We're, we're, well, I think he likes Paradigm of Uncertainty. Well, starting with next week, we are starting Living with Danger. We're going to do four weeks on Living with Danger. And then we are going to jump to... What are we doing after that? We are doing With All My Love by Lady Chi, a.k.a. Ryan Fires Chi for three weeks. Followed by Paradigm of Uncertainty. Followed by Lavender Brown, which essentially is Jen talking about sex for six weeks. Followed by... What? Oh, yes. Well, not me alone. Not she, you alone. We're going to do a state Hermione. <laughs> yep, and we have, I think we're voting on... Or Draco Hermione. Melinda Leo's yeah. in the lead right now, but God knows what we're going to do. Yay! I have power Yay! magic. Can I, I just say, this is what happens when Jen puts her influence behind it. I love the fact that I love Jen in charge, and within moments, she like literally threw a grenade at Viridian. I thought that was nice. Thanks. <laughs> You were I, I, I was like, <laughs> I was like, can we just not just wait? Ryan's right making jokes about my leadership skills. Can you wait till Monday? <laughs> All right. And with that, why don't we jump over to the interview with H. Whimsy and hopefully we will get the story behind the story. So with that, we're out of here and we'll see you all in about six seconds. Have a great six seconds. Bye. <laughs> That is not a good noise. That is not. I still have to pee. I'm not ready. You always do that. Why don't you say, I'm going to call you now? Oh, Jen, Jen, say hi to the blooper reel. Hi. (laughs) I should actually probably edit one of these now that I have, like, free time. Yeah, Um, you need to sign up because I've been encouraging everyone to, and some people haven't. Well, I just usually figure I'll wait like, Here I am getting on to the guy who's done it for like a year. Yeah. <laughs> I've only done 36 of them. You've only um, done <laughs> So true, and that's what makes it funny. At the time you gave me like, oh, this will be nice and easy. It took me like 18 hours. <laughs> it was just a commentary. The Turkish. Yeah. It's from, uh, oh, shoot. It's from that play that Shakespeare wrote. No, that's it's not the one from the Midsummer, Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah, yes, it is. It's from an opera, dear. I know, it's from that opera. Here comes the bride. Or the one from Night's Dream goes, um, oh, crap, monkeys. I That's swear. not the point. It. Yes, I, it's it a Faulkner one. No, it's not. No, Jennifer. it's not Faulkner. No. Uh, okay, let's go. Really? Is it? I'm, we have wikipedia this one. Because <laughs> th- that would know. Yeah. It's a freaking Faulkner. <laughs> Stupid. Okay, and it's, it says Wagner, stupid idiot can't yeah, Who won? Who won? Me! Oh, shut up! Wagner. Yes! Okay, anyway. It's so what, what's the one that I'm thinking? No, oh, oh, it's Mendelssohn. See? Yeah. Okay. Mendelssohn's Wedding March is one of the best known of the pieces he wrote as incidental music for Shakespeare's play A Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah, but that's so not the one. So it wasn't Wagner; it was Mendelssohn. No, ha! no, the bridal, right. chorus, the bridal chorus, dum 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 dum, is from Lohengrin by Richard Wagner. It's not. Oh, but that's not, not the one I'm not talking. I'm talking about the one that when, when you come down the aisle. Oh well, most people when come you down leave. The aisle, this is the one that you leave. 
Yeah, that one. So we were both right, but we were both wrong. Did you just say what I thought you said? I still did, yep. We can edit that one out. Jealous of me Cause I'm so famous And awesome at Quidditch Just remember that time That we took you to Slughorn's office And you nearly drank yourself to death But I saved your And we are back with uh, Lady She Scott, and we have H. Whimsy, Whimsy, I call her Sarah because I feel weird saying H. Whimsy. I feel like I'm talking to a Supreme Court justice. <laughs> I'm wearing my robes right now. She Thank is. you She's very much. She's got the powdered wig on right there. And, uh, exactly. Not only did she write Coven of Echoes, I mean, we spent an hour on Harry's sperm. I mean, she's given us so much. Lady She is an H. Whimsy fangirl, and it's so... <laughs> peculiar for me to see Lady Chi of all people, you know, like genuflecting. I just have to stop. Oh, no. Uh, genuflecting. These are the I'm glad I'm wearing like... that robe now. And that yes, exactly. Yeah. She, did, she did let me kiss her ring earlier. So I... <laughs> Thank I, you. Yeah, I'm very, uh, very it's excited It's a lot of podcast that. time when she continuously refers to you as your majesty. I mean, I feel like the... <laughs> Oh God! Brian okay. never exaggerates, never, of course. Never <laughs> Absolutely, no. there's no hyperbole. No, not <laughs> no. at all. We are, we are, we are card-carrying members of a mutual admiration society. Yes, exactly. And, I was going to say the same exact thing, and yes. have been for quite some time. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's a wonderful thing. <laughs> she calls me last night to say she wants to read my book. I'm so excited. <laughs> she hangs up on me. Like, I do. Going to be fantastic, and we can say we all knew. You know, we all knew her, and then we'll be kissing somebody else's ring. You know, so it's just yeah. going to be. I knew, lady. I discovered girl lady queen in line. Oh, she signed my book. Look, <laughs> that'll be like my claim to fame. I know, I know a guy who was at whatever college in the eighties, and he was um, walking across campus with a, like with, with a radio in his hand, and he had heard that Reagan was just shot, and Jodie Foster actually went to the. I hope I'm getting this right. Jodie Foster like went to the school and she stopped him, and he was the one that told her that Reagan was shot. And the get and the thing is, is that she was the reason that the guy shot Reagan. Oh, so uh, that was that. That's this guy's claim to fame now. He was the one that told Jodie Foster that Reagan was shot. My claim to fame will be I discovered Lady Chi. That will be my whole life. I, could, I yes, I I could cure cancer, and they will say. <laughs> Man who discovers Lady Chi cures cancer. Like that's just my only only poor Ryan's gonna be looking down at this book going, Who is KJ Stevie and why is she writing why is her manuscript the same as Lady Chi's? I'm reading it I'm like Stevie, exactly. Stevie, Katie Stove? Who is this person? 
Exactly. No, it's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. I don't know if it's an apocryphal story or not, but isn't there a story about one of um, J.K. Rowling's first book signings, and it was in a basement of a bookstore? And, you know, so she had her, you can imagine, you know, a stack of all her first editions, and the only people that stumbled in on the signing were lost, but they were so polite, they didn't have the heart to leave. So they just sat and listened to her read and, you know, got their little book signed and left and went on their way. And I don't know if that's an, I've heard that story like multiple times, but can you imagine? You're just like, oh, we really felt sorry for this woman. And then she became like the richest person on the planet. Yeah. They, have like the, they have like the signed like manuscripts that go for like a billion dollars. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So, you know, so we won't have to stumble onto onto um the ladies uh, uh book signing we'll get you know we'll get those stack of 10 of them you know mm-hmm. and then we'll be set well you have a, a you have a book coming out right you have a publishing deal here yeah up. i actually just finished i i did a um a, a help for it. it was an anthology and it was a great thing it's called can i sit with you and it's traumas of the playground and so it's adults points of uh, adult short stories about like the traumatic stuff that happened to them on the playground. And it's such amazing because if you talk to anybody, they can come up with like five stories in their head about, oh, my God, I remember when this happened to me on the playground and I did this. And so um, and so that just came out. And then I'm working on one that's right now, but I'm incredibly far behind because, as of course, these guys know already, I. I'm living in a house that's the money pit. I'm I'm basically taking the part of Shelley Long right now, and my house is falling apart around me. But I'm trying, like, and my editor is getting very angry. But I'm like, I'm coming. I'm trying. I'm trying to get this done. But she's actually uh, podcasting to us right now. She's actually trapped in a carpet that is falling through her floor. Exactly. She's, <laughs> she's like twitching her arms back and forth like a small exactly. Mouth I'm here. I have about you know 30 minutes left of air, and by the end, you'll just hear like. <laughs> <laughs> that's all that's left of me. That's the sound quality we're used to, so we'll be fine with that. <laughs> I just want to clarify one thing for the record: the when I cure cancer, the the New York Times article will actually say Lady Chi knows guy who cured cancer. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So we're at a little bit of a disadvantage tonight because usually we are so far behind on recording things and releasing episodes that usually when 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 we record the interview, the author has heard everything we've done and can take us to task for all of the awful, mean-spirited things that we have said. Well, I can be ignorant. About their work, and we are so far ahead that we are, we are, we take so long to edit and we record so frequently, we're like 12 episodes ahead now, so, so Sarah actually hasn't heard anything that we've done, which is kind of amusing. Um, so I'm trying to think of a good way to sum up what we've done to get your reaction. Um, we talked about, you know, what, Australian dumpsters a lot. Um, oh, that was, that was really, and I, you know, and I spent probably, I would say, good seven days prior to writing that, um, in emails with Myth. Remember from, uh, who wrote Cursed? Yes. Uh, yeah. Thing. Myth and Legend. Yep. Yeah. Myth and Legend. Huge emails going back and forth with her about what we should call it because I really wanted to have the dynamic of a big metal container that had a metal top that would, that, because I wanted that visual, I mean, as horrible as it is, is I wanted that visual that that metal would be crashing down on that girl's fingers or, you know, that there, that, that was a really strong visceral image that I wanted to go with. 
and I didn't want to have anything plastic and I didn't want to have anything that could be easily wheel, you know, wheeled around. And so, you know, and then, oh God, I remember I, I got so many readers angry with that, even in the original publishing of it. And I was like, I'm so sorry. If I knew then, I would have just pulled it and said, what the heck should I call the big metal thing that I want with the big heavy lid? But it's interesting as a writer, you do learn. I mean, it, it, fan fiction is an interesting dynamic because you're playing in someone else's sandbox very much so. So you, you want to pay a lot of respect to the characters and you never realize also the disadvantage of being an American writing in an English world and then how you can get people, you know, they can get a really strong reaction to that. But if I had known then, I would have just said, oh, what the heck should I... You know, and I, we, we bandied the terms about and everything else like that. And so finally, Myth and I said, okay, what do you think? And she said, go with this. And so I'm blaming it on Myth now, you can I see. Would. Or a woman who's due to have a baby any day now, I think. And, um, wow. I'm, uh, I'll blame it on her. But, uh, but yeah, I would, I, 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 mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa on the, on the dumpster. Yes. So, Kaza <laughs> threatened to, I, uh, I she's mail a photo of a, <laughs> padlock skip from behind something or other and yeah she wandered around town until she found one with a lid that had a pa- padlock and took pictures and yeah right, exactly like please please i'm so sorry i'm so sorry to, to give you some but indication of our group we, i think they had a 25 minute discussion yeah. over why people would have to lock up their trash and then they realized the animals could get in and they had a wonderful conversation about the purpose of a dumpster so Oh yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't know, you know, in the wizard world how it is and stuff like that. But I mean, I I live in San Francisco, and and as an urban of a city as it is, I mean, we have, you know, the oh, we have wheelie bins. How about that? That we bring out to the the curb, and, and I mean, you know, raccoons, everything. I mean, get into those things. So hell, I'd lock the damn trash too. But um, so so that's that. So I I'm so sorry for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I never had a problem with it, so I forgive you. Thank you. Thank you so much. You, you, you are <laughs> yeah. very welcome. I'm trying, so we've, we discussed the, uh, dumpster at length. Uh, I've determined that the character who I will forever refer to as Grandma is far more scary than Voldemort ever was in canon. <laughs> she is a great character. She really, well, <laughs> she, you didn't give her a bullhorn at any point, so I was very grateful for that. <laughs> you have oh, one that hour. Old you have <laughs> one hour. And I'm like, the hell is he Oh, doing? I know. Isn't that awful? <laughs> oh, God, I could have a huge discussion about that. Oh, at the end, it's like, Do yeah. Even better. Like, the at the end of one hour, I will give you... <laughs> Another hour. Attention, Kmart shoppers. <laughs> the blue light going. I was like, ah, oh, I have a problem with that one. Oh, God, Grandma cracks me up. But no, um, yeah, it was interesting. I channeled a lot of, um, uh, I like to garden, and I think a lot of the times, you know, that you're gardening, you're thinking, like, what could be the most terrific things you could grow in a garden, you know, and I, I had a lot of fun at her shop uh and a lot of fun in her garden with all her for all of her creatures and um and and it's hard when you write a villain or you write your evil character cuz sometimes you have to spend a lot more time i think with them um and you and the hardest thing i think for me when i write is that you don't want to make someone 100% bad 
Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You want to have them have some redeeming qualities because that gives them some depth of character, and you want them to have, you know, fears just like your protagonist would, or you want them to have, um, you know, hopes, and that makes them a little bit more dimensional. But at the same time, you have to make them evil enough so that you create fear and you want to make them, um, and also, I, I don't know about you guys, but evil characters are always just so much more interesting a lot of the time. Yeah. I mean, I think in movies or in books or anything else like that, they're always some of the more fascinating characters. And so with her, I mean, she was definitely, you know, an evil character, but she had, you know, you know what she ultimately wanted at the end of the day, you know, and, um, but she, and what she was driven to do to get it was, was pretty vile. But uh, I, I thought about a lot of old teachers that I had, too. I think everybody has, like, some teacher with a hairy mole, you know, yes. or at least the cafeteria lady that hands out the milk. The nun that you had as a teacher. In oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, thank that, you. Yeah. So she was interesting. I'm struggling to remember because it's been a few weeks. I actually thought that in the first scene when Ginny goes to the shop, she was really creepy, but there was some – she was so – three-dimensional at that point that she got like more evil as it went on so in the beginning you're like okay she's really creepy but there must be something going on you there's got to be some avenue where maybe she can have some type of a redeeming quality somewhere and then you get later on in the story you're like no (laughs) (laughs) no you're not inviting her home for dinner you know she's just not don't leave her with the cat like she makes voldemort cry like there's, there's <laughs> really nothing. boy you. There's really nothing. <laughs> there. Yeah, she's definitely and um and I like playing around with you know the the antithesis the antithesis of the phoenix theme kind of like that you know that you had birds of prey versus you know mm-hmm. um you know fox is always such a beautiful character in those books and and such a um you know, character, I think, who was very much about, you know, a resurrection theme, you know, right. from uh, being redeemed mm-hmm. and stuff. But, you know, she was a bird of prey. I mean, always her eyes, her, um, her, her, her I mean, her physical abilities to do that. Did you know, you know and, and she would stoop at nothing, you know, did even you, to the destruction of her own. Her did, own. You, did you know oh, from sorry. the beginning you were going to have the cat take her out? Was that? Yeah, yeah. I always knew I had the cat. I had a ton of cats growing up, (laughs) and I love cats. I mean, I adore cats, and I just thought, you know, I've always been really attuned to cats, and I always knew. I knew from the beginning because in the very beginning, I mean, the cat, you know, sensed Harry when in the garden in the beginning, and I liked that little moment. I mean, I always liked the idea that, you know, as much as he was hurt by Ginny in the beginning. Um, he never, you know, they, of course, never, I don't think, ever would ever stop loving each other. And, and he is trying to convince himself that he didn't. But I think most of the times, you know, he would think one thing, but his, you know, gut was telling him another thing. And so the cat knew he was there in the very beginning. And because I had fashioned her as a, a bird of prey, I knew that I needed um a cat to take her out ultimately. I think I grew up with a lot of indoor outdoor cats, which is uncommon on nowadays. People tell me, you know, they'll keep their cats mostly inside. And you know, if has anybody on this ever had like an indoor outdoor cat and you have to watch Oh, I have an indoor outdoor cat. Oh Mally. And you, like what's yeah. in the mouth, you know? Is it a mouse? Yeah. Is it alive? Is it gonna fly around the house and stuff? So Oh yeah. That a, That's yeah. true. <laughs> 
my mother would like scream blue murder and then we would be like laughing great yeah yeah there's a live chip I'm gonna do that <laughs> yeah, but, well, uh, yeah my cat will always look up at you like what that bird just fell out of the sky it's like O'Malley <laughs> or I did this for take you take it outside yeah yeah exactly I'm <laughs> in my keep no but I did yeah I knew from the beginning that the cat would the cat would ultimately take her out yeah, I just visited a friend of mine, and she had to go to her mother's house because her mother was away that let her mother's cat out. And she walked in, and she looked in the back porch, and there was a mouse that was so badly mutilated on the back stairs that it had to be, it had to be a hate crime. Like, it's just like, uh, I'm like, oh, my God, I can't look. I know it has no head. All you needed was a blue dumpster, and that would have been like, oh, God, this is terrible. But. I know. It's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. So, uh... I guess what I want to know is, uh, what kind of an author are you? Do you sit down? Are you, are you what I call the, are you fly by the chi method, which is kind of fly by the seat of your pants and hope that everything works out at the end? <laughs> or do you, um, do you have a outline or how strict are you about planning out things in advance? I always think this is an interesting question. I think uh, I changed as I got older. Um, I, I was much more, um, fly by the seat of my pants early on, um, and in what I wrote. And it, and it also depends upon the genre that I'm writing in or if I'm, for example, if I'm writing personal essay or I'm writing anything, I do some writing for NPR and um, that is more of a stream of consciousness or that'll be stuff that I'll just kind of write and then I, you know, will craft it. But if I'm writing a novel, um, I, you and I were talking about this, there's this fabulous, actually fabulous book that just kind of changed, it's called uh, The Anatomy of the Story. And it really, I don't, I don't really uh, have a ton of like writing books that I ever like or that I would say, oh, this is a great book to read if you want to, you know, learn about dialogue or anything else like that. I mean, there's a handful of them, but this was fantastic because um, what I wanted to focus on, and I think it behooves most writers and is really good, is is whenever you're going to write, if you're going to attempt a novel, and especially. Yeah, um, YA novels, especially in fantasy realms sometimes, is you really want to think about your themes and especially because mm-hmm. they're going to potentially be serial books. They won't be just one book that you're writing. Right. And your themes are, are, are what are ultimately going to win, I think, your reader's heart and really drive, you know, pull them into a story. And you've got, and that theme I always used to think was just my, um, hero or heroine was going to live that, but every other character that kind of revolves around them, you know, mm-hmm. it, it reflects that theme. So to make a long, I'm sorry, a long-winded um, answer to your story, I tend to spend a lot of time doing character studies, a long time. I'll have a notebook almost per character where I'll sit down and I'll almost interview them. I'll spend days asking them questions and inane questions like, you know, if you went in and saw my parents' basement, would you have a heart attack? You know, what would you do? Would you scream at them and tell them to clean it out? Or, you know, I'll, I'll, and I'll, I'll spend each of that with the characters and try to get them really down. And then, um, and then I'll, I'll have an idea of what I want to do for plot, but then I will potentially plot pretty well. Now that'll always well, not always, but a lot of times, and I don't know if you feel the same way, get blown out of the water because sometimes oh, yeah. characters end up doing things you don't expect them to do, and they take over or yeah, they the change. Characters get lives of their own. Yeah, exactly, and that's great, and that's what you know. That's I what's think, supposed to happen. Exactly. That's when you know you've made it. Actually, is when yeah. you, when things don't go exactly the way that you plan, but it's better in the end. That's when you know that you you're you're finally past the baby author stage and you've made it to 
author status. That's what I tell people anyway when they start complaining right. to me. Charlie really won't you... do what I want him to do. Well, congratulations. Right. Now figure out what you... he wants to do. If any of you guys have read, uh, Stephanie Meyer just came out with a book called The Host, and it was a really fascinating book. And and she had had been in an interview, and she had talked about how um, one of the one of the lesser characters really took over and became a major character, and and that exactly was an organic process that happened in her writing. But um, yeah, and so it it is, and and then you. But what you have to, with, with fan fiction, I think the pro, not the problem, but the challenge with fan fiction is, is that you may fall in love with certain characters, but you always have to be aware that your readers are in love with the characters that they're in love with and, and that you have to try to stay in that world, you know, mm-hmm. with them. Um, because they're there to hear, read about Harry, they're read, you know, they're there to read about Lupin or, or Ron yeah. or Ryan, but not your necessarily your other characters. Oh, yeah, I have a very oh. overarching question for you, you know, about sure. Kevin Yvakos, but before I do that, the, the, we, we've gotten the, the same question sent into us so often that I, I feel as though I should start with it now before I forget it. Mm-hmm. Why did you make uh, Horace Slughorn the defense against the dark arts teacher? <laughs> oh, <laughs> we we just to clarify, one of our guest hosts is is, is the president and founder of the Horace Leghorn Fan Society, and that mm-hmm. was that was her um, that that jumped right off the bat. Her, so I was curious. Um, well, I was shuffling the teachers around because I think I needed. Um, I don't know if I did it. You know, I I was shuffling the teachers around, and I knew that, um, or I was going to embrace the idea that after Voldemort was. Uh, eradicated that the curse went off the position so that people could ho- handle it for multiple years mm-hmm. and um, and I liked the idea of well I, I needed also the idea that Hermione was going to be doing potions um, so I was running out of spots you know of people and I, I knew that Horace would p- potentially maybe still stay around and still teach even though he had kind of been cajoled into doing it in the in um, the Half Blood Prince, and so I don't think it was a. I think it was more of just a plot movement to to get him to to, to be in that position. It wasn't anything because uh, he wasn't a really major character in the book at all. But so, I really like. I wanted him around. I liked him in the story, and um, but I wanted Hermione to be in potions. It was more driving off of that. So it wasn't that Horace was fired for gross incompetence and he filed a grievance? And that's, no, that's or nothing on Audrey in the broom closet or anything else like that. No, no. <laughs> no, he and McGonagall had a tryst somewhere. No, um, no, it was just... I want to thank you for loading me up with that visual. That was nice. I know. That'll, <laughs> that's worse than that little rat on the back step. Um, no, it was purely, you know, it was purely a plot device. I mean, I really like... i I always been... Uh, uh, He's always an entertaining character. I mean, I love the illustration of him in that book. It's just so it's spot on. And he's always written about as looking very baby-like, you know, like a grown man is a, is a baby's thing. And no, it was just to get him, to get Hermione into potions, purely that. I just, mm-hmm. I, I can't believe I opened with that. I'm like ashamed of myself now. Tell, okay, so Covenant of Echoes, tell, like mm-hmm. where did it start? What did you, where, what was the genesis? What did you want to tell about what? Occurred to you first? How did the story come about? I really started with the first visual, which is her coming out of the um, Dymphnas, the St. Dymphnas. And I liked that idea, you know, of, of 
kind of being a little bit weary after the war. And I got a lot of flack, and I totally understand this, because people are very possessive of Ginny and really envision her in a certain way with a certain vim and a certain vigor and and you know uh, and she's a, a a firebrand of a character um and i but i wanted i wanted the war to have gone longer i think that was one of my problems with the last book too it was like it was like slow 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 hurry 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 finish the bullhorn and then you know then you're over but i just envisioned this war going longer and then being older and mm-hmm. so, and I always liked the idea, even though I think she's very athletic and I can totally see her in the career that, you know, of, of being a sports writer or whatever she is, uh, ultimately now in, in, in the lore, um, of being a healer. Um, and I liked that idea of, of, I know a lot of doctors that the, when they're off their shift and they come out and they're just really tired and I, I, that whole visual started in there and so I need needed to have her you know apart from Harry and then I wanted to have um, I wanted to have an American presence and I wanted and then I I started to craft the coven and it really mm-hmm. came off of that so I wanted to have um, this other society I was really kind of intrigued by that and then um, of course, you know, Mother Dearest <laughs> character. Um, I was really, uh, I, I really liked her um, also being another, I wanted two evil presences going at the same time. And um, and, and then it grew out of that. And then it grew out of, I'm a, I really love one of my favorite um, writers, what I use my moniker was Dorothy Sayers. And I love the way she crafted mystery stories. Um, she was one of the last, I think, really good puzzle mystery story writers of that mm-hmm. of that generation like Agatha Christie and Dorothy Sayers and I liked having a puzzle and so and then um, Fritz 42 who was a user um, was a big help and it was kind of, this became kind of like a labor of love for me to her um, because she was just such a she was so into it and, and that's how it came out that's how it started mm-hmm. that was um, a point you brought up there that we had questions about was whether you had any actual medical experience with all the um, sort of emergency room drama and such in the early chaps? I have a relative who's a doctor, and I I don't want to bring the show down or anything else like that, but during writing this and and prior to this, I had um, my mother-in-law, who I was extremely close to, was battling really, really bad cancer. And so we um, were taking shifts. We were rotating round robin, caring of her, so I was up I was up in uh, Seattle at um, a cancer center. So I was around a lot of doctors a lot in in a really I mean, you know that was the last stop shop there where people would do mm-hmm. stem cell transplants yeah. and everything. Really at the end of it. So I was around a lot of medical stuff and and so that kind of got reflected a little bit in the story too um, that I wanted. But I also liked inventing you know magical medicine. And I wanted it to be a little bit more bloody because it always seems so clean to me uh, when it's written in the books. But I was like, mm-hmm. well, what would trauma look like? You know, what would you do if people were coming in? And, you know, and I didn't really like the idea that, you know, I could major, make wave a magic wand and boom, it would be healed. I kind of liked that they, that charms were in play and that they had to be um, handled very systematically and very, you know, methodically. Mm-hmm. And I really liked that scene 
in the beginning when they're all in the room and kind of all hell is breaking loose. And, you know, she's trying to manage, you know, doing it. And it, it, I liked the idea that it took a lot of physical energy out of you to administer a charm, to heal, mm-hmm. that it was, it was, you know, that, it, that you had to get that out of yourself. And to me, that seems like, um, magic would seem like that, that it would, you know, that there, you know, that there would be a, a physical force you'd have to, to add, you know, put into it to make the magic work. If that makes any sense. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. That was one of the things that, because of the way we do our podcast, we'll read the story and then we'll put it down and then we'll pick up the next story and we'll go. And it, it was so startling for me to read the first chapter where, you know, it, it's very slow, very slow, very slow. Guys with knives coming in. And, you know, it, it was so, because I had just read, we had just read the story where they're all 12 years old and they're, you know, outside playing kickball and I'm like I'm just like what what is going on I need to sit down I need to rest I'm so confused. yeah this isn't your 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 mother's uh, Harry Potter <laughs> exactly. like, you know like, like oh, no no well let me ask you about that one of the comments I made in one of our in one of the first episodes is that it, the story itself felt like a play to me at many mm-hmm. different points and like I could all I, I like I I was in the drama club in high school. That was my that's my claim to the to the art. But um, like the, like the scene when Harry and Ginny um, wake up and they're tied in the chair like back to back and can mm-hmm. reach the night. Like I was joking, it reminded me of like an episode of Scarecrow and Mrs. King because it's just like, it's, it, like I could picture you know the, the the set with the lights and like everything. Like was there any effort to do something like that like or is that just me being crazy it just seemed like oh no no i think it's fun i mean did you ever i this might be dating myself and stuff like that i used to love the avengers that was an old english show that was on with diana rigg and i oh, i forgot patrick mcnee i think was a um one of them and they were spies um english spies um no i think it, probably because i try to i i try to spend and i may fail awful often at this but i try to spend a lot of time in setting um, and that was a scene where I was, it was from her point of view, so it's kind of like she's coming out of being unconscious. So she's quite aware of him, and um, and then she's, I wanted to play with the idea that she really always has loved him, and she really does feel something for him, but she's very angry at that point. But I spent a lot of time with her talking about his profile in the shadow. Um, and it's, and when you're writing, I, or when I write from someone's point of view, I like to kind of play around with that in that, you know, the way they'll talk or the way they'll see something may really betray their heart, even though they're acting one particular way. But she's very much aware of him physically there, and she's battling kind of that. But I really liked the starkness of that room. There was not much in that room. Um, and... I think when you write a scene, you know, if there's a gun, you got to use the gun. And so there mm-hmm. was a window, you got to use the window. You don't, you don't put a few, you don't put anything around that you probably aren't going to use later on. You don't mention anything in setting that you are not absolutely going to use later on. Right, or if it doesn't tell the character, yeah. or if it doesn't, you know, yeah. or have any kind of, you know, emotional impact in it. Yeah. And so that room was really stark. So, yeah, but I loved, I mean, I did a ton of drama also, and I really like the fact that, you know, plays are a different animal. I mean, novel, you know, the written word, there's plays, there's movies, and they all can tell a narrative, but they all have their different strengths and the abilities to do that. And um, and plays are just so rich. I remember I grew up in uh, outside of New York City, and my mom really was intent on taking us into Manhattan a lot to see plays. And I remember being very young and, and sitting there and being so blown away by just the innate 
intimate nature of a place. It's just amazing, you know, and that it, you know, was continuously going. And it was a funny story because, um, oh, who played, uh, Mark Hamill played Luke in, in, uh, Star Wars. Mm, yeah. Um, he was playing in Mozart, he was playing in Amadeus. And he was actually playing Amadeus. And it, I was, you know, it was like floored. How could this movie star be playing in this play? And he was magnificent. He was really, really good. Um, and I think that, um, I think that, you know, being really, you know, creating an intimate setting uh, is helpful sometimes because it'll, it, it draws the reader in as, as best you can. And you try to, you know, you try to do that, but it's, it's also you don't want to bore the reader too much, so you got to keep going. You know, you got to keep it. You got to keep up uh, mm-hmm. that flow going. Well, I think a lot of like uh, modern authors, and you can disagree with me or agree with me on this. We don't. We we I start often with an image, like you started with an image, and then build my whole novel around a series of images. And the points in the story where it's really good is when the when the images are moving in my mind. When I'm seeing a movie in my mind. And I'm right. writing it out. That's yep, when the story exactly. is the best. Yeah, exactly. And, and you lose say, yourself. You become yeah, like exactly. somebody once said. You become like you're mm-hmm. you're taking dictation for someone else, or yeah, you're like exactly. going down and you're just writing what they're te- you know what you're seeing and what what you're going on. I have lost whole hours if, of my life that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're, yeah, the kids are starving. You know, they're wandering in the streets. You know, they've fallen into the excavation hole in the backyard. It's just like, okay, another one for medical research. And um, but you do, you do, you do want to do that. I mean, it is, but it can be a tremendous life suck. You're absolutely right. And I think you begin, you become a lot of like shotguns and canned food and aluminum foil on the windows. I mean, you, so you have to kind of say, okay, I'm going to dedicate that much time because otherwise, you know, the state's at the door ready to taking, you know, taking your kids away. But, uh, do you find there are scenes where you have to like sit down? Like if I know, I know if I'm going to do a death or a funeral or a wedding, I have to do that all in one shot. I have to block out enough time that I can write that seven or eight pages in one shot. Do you have anything like where you have to do that? Yeah, because I, I, I have to get to an emotional place. I have to stay there. I can't yeah, leave. <laughs> yeah, and the problem is, is because you know, um, who was it? Oh God, I'm going to totally spit on the the name of the author. He's great. He wrote everything's illuminated. Oh God, why am I? Oh, I can't think of his name. And he said he had this great line that said that um, when you write, when you're writing, when you're doing the act of writing, you're singing in the shower, and when you're editing, you're singing in front of an audience. So, you know, when you're actually doing the writing and, and, and what I call getting my sneakers on, because sometimes it's really hard for me to sit down. You know, once I'm sitting down and once I'm doing it, I'm there. But, you know, it's like, okay, can I do this? Can I do that? Can I do this? Um, but then when I go back to edit it, you know, and that's when I really, I, I, I don't know if you guys are the same way when you write. I think I write really well in the morning and the early afternoon, but mm-hmm. I won't, I won't write late at night. And I will probably not even edit late at night because you're just in different energy. You're a different kind of thing, unless it's really, really late, like 2 o'clock in the morning, and then I can kind of do it. But energy has a lot to do with it, too. I don't normally start writing until 1 o'clock in the morning, to be quite honest with you. I'm one of those people that kind of has to calm down enough to where I can, you know, be. but but the thing is, is I think about writing much more than I actually write. I'm a yeah. very quick writer. Once I sit down to write, I can write 
5,000 words in four hours. I mean, I, it, it really goes that fast. And, uh, but, um, sitting, it's sitting down to write. And, fight, yeah, mm-hmm. but I think about Getting it. Getting started. Yeah, I think about it 24-7. No, I do. And, that, and it, it becomes very dangerous when you're on the streets. <laughs> oh, and driving, like, driving is like, oh, I'm so sorry, officer. I was really figuring out how I was going to kill this person. Well, and then you're the like, other, okay, we'll the, just take you down to the station. Um, I'm on but, the other yeah. side. Is I'm listening, I listen to fan fiction in my car. I have it recorded so I can listen to it on my iPod. And I'm the one crashing my car into things. I'm like, you cannot <laughs> just do <laughs> I Yeah. I know. And I did, you know, uh, the, good, the good thing about Harry Potter, what I think it did, is it created really good fan fiction. Because God knows, I mean, and I don't, I, I think everyone that wants to write should write and, and mm-hmm. have that ability to write and, 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 and to do it. But if you read any kind of other, I mean, there's some other genre, uh, some other, you know, works of fan fiction that, that have, you know, have good, but it has some really wonderfully fantastic, good writing, just periodly good writing, you know, that you would pick up and you would read it and say, man, that is just totally engrossing and I really like it. Whereas other things are definitely written, you know, that you want to bite on aluminum foil and, and scream, you know, that you're like, oh, God. And, um, and, and, it, and that's, I liked, you know, I liked publishing on Phoenix Song because I really liked their... Um, their stories when I first, you know, read them, they were really, mm-hmm. you know, great sight and they, you know, baited and they, they did a lot of things that I really liked about it. But I think everybody's different in their approach to writing and, and, uh, and whatever works for them really works, you know, well and you can't, and it, it, it's hard to say. And that's why I have a hard time when people teach writing because I think mm-hmm. you can see yeah. some things, but a lot of it's art and a lot I- of it's just pure imagination. I find your, you find myself a lot of times in a baiting, baiting situation uh-huh. and being asked, how do you write a scene X, Y, and Z, you know? And it's, you say, uh, I can't tell you. You have to write it wrong about 20,000 times and yeah. then you'll figure out how to write it right. I think yeah. that's part of the problem with a lot of the people that I end up baiting for. And I'm, you do some of this beta editing as well, don't you, Sarah? Is yeah. that, um, when you're given, I'm, a lot of times I work with really young folks because my first um, fan fiction novel was complete when I was 13. Mm-hmm. And so I've been doing this a really, really long time. And I started young. But I think a, a lot of young people don't realize how often things have to be bad before things get good. <laughs> yeah. And I think you want, you can't, you can't explain, I think, to some people that why people really, you know, people really want to love the care, love, and I don't want to say love the characters. That's wrong. I'm wrong in saying that. Because I don't think anybody really loved Snape, for example. But people oh, were fascinated. Yes. <laughs> I mean, they could love him, but they were fascinated with him. Yeah. And 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 I don't think a character has to be peaches and cream. And in fact, probably it's better for them to be highly flawed because it makes them really fascinating. But they need to want something, and they need mm-hmm. to you know want it badly. And I think that's when we really go into that. Um, and, and really get into that. And they, and, and, and that want, you know, drives them so much. And, um, and that was probably was, part of what the whole Snape thing was, is that we never, he was very mysterious. We never figured out what his motivations were until the very end. Right. Because, uh, JK knew that the whole time, but none of us right. did. Right. So, yeah. Yep. And, and he was, was very motivated, but we didn't know why. Yeah. 
Right, exactly. And, and, and in guessing, everybody could own it themselves, you know, and that's what I think when, when there's good writing is everybody owns it and it, it, the reader can do, you know, it's so much better than movies in that way because when you see a movie to a certain extent, it is what it is, but with a book, you know, you can, you can, you know, that visual image, that, um, understanding, you know, because I was always pondering, like, why? You know, I always knew it had something to do with Lily, but, you know, and, and his oh, yeah. feelings for her. Um, but, you know, it was borderline on child abuse a lot of the time with him and Harry. I mean, there was just that vehement hate. And I imagine at the end, such a beautiful, I mean, when you think about what she did, because she, he is looking at a human being that looks like the woman he's madly in love with, and it looks like the man he hates at the same time, yeah. in and is also the reason to remove the woman that he loved. So, I mean, that internal turmoil in him, that's just, that's just fantastic, you know. But that was, uh, you know, it, it was just a you know, masterful, and I think it's her best character. I really do think he's her best character. Um, I mean, we all love different other characters and we root for them and we're really strong, but her, that was, her, I think, her most complex character. Because Voldemort I would say it's a tie between him character. and, I would say it's a tie between him and Remus Lupin. I'd be quite honest with you. But that's just because I have a very deep and abiding love. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I kind of do. She's also too. a fangirl of Remus and Lupin. I'm also yeah. a fangirl of Remus Lupin. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, you're right. I mean, he does kind of, he's very mysterious. He's motivated by things we don't understand and, and I don't think that J.K. Rowling and the fandom sometimes, and it's oddly, it's a very odd circumstance in our fandom where we at the one point, um, worship, you know, the writing, you know, and give it all the credit it's due, but at the same time, there's this side of the fandom that doesn't, you know, kind of, it's Absolutely like, oh, I got, or whatever. Or, yeah, you know. yeah, exactly. Um, well, yeah, because I, oh, I'm sorry, yeah. John, I apologize. Go, no, go ahead. Talk. No, I think that there's a part of fandom that really wants things to be, you know, exact, I mean, th- that wants things to be exactly, or, you know, wants a love story that's very, very happy, you know, or, you know, want, it, that wanted wants a love story, to, full stop. <laughs> right, yeah. exactly. Wants a love story, but also, you know, the best parts of love stories, I think, are, you know, not, I don't want to say the angst, I hate that word, but the, Either the anticipation of it, the, you know, the, Mm -hmm. the the not being able to have it, um, I think that is really strong. The build up. The build up to it, because you, you, people in movies fall in love usually over a montage of music, because Mm -hmm. it can get really boring. (laughs) You know, it's like, when they're all happy and lovey-dovey, you know, that's only gonna carry you for so long. Um, you know, you, it's all of the, it's all of the play behind that that really it has does to be it. conflict. It's exactly that's this, that's my problem with this story. I'm in the middle of reading now. It's a Doctor Who fan fiction, and they wrap up the problem with Doctor and Rose in the first like three or four chapters, and you're like, what? Exactly. <laughs> like, this this is a massive problem. I want like chapters and chapters and chapters and chapters of angst before, or not angst, but you know, uh, build up before we resolve this issue, but. Or, or yeah. like, I, I've always loved old Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy movies. Or the old oh, Finn my Lord. Movies. I love I them. And I love them because, you know, you have a highly intelligent woman. You've got and great very high banter. Intelligent 
Yeah. And you've got, you know, or the Thin Man series, which was, or at least the first Thin Man. Nick and Nora Charles. Yeah, which is just great. I mean, you know, I I really, you know, great wit or great, um, Mm -hmm. you know. Snappy dialogue. Yeah, but there is a lot of stuff, other stuff going on with them, too. And, uh, so, so it's, it's, it's interesting. And I, I think, you know, you have a very, I think it's, you, you need a lot of courage as a, as a writer. I mean, I think that you, um, Stephanie Meyer, who's been touted as the next thing with these Twilight series that's come out, I think it's a horrible, it, not horrible, but it's a, a yoke to put on because you get this huge fan base. You know, mm-hmm. that is very voracious, and you want to write what you want to write, and at the same time, um, you're, you know, you're managing that fan base. And yeah. That's got to be really daunting. Um, at I think a lot time. of us, a lot of the fandom authors have a little taste of that. Like, you, uh, one of the, some of the stories, some of the choices that you made in Coven are, were not as readily no. accepted as you would have thought. No, and, um, no. I just released a two-part series that got kind of the same reaction. So I'm, I'm curious to see, you know, what you thought about that, that reaction to it. Did it take you yeah. by surprise? Yeah, it first did. Time? A few, yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. What, what chapter was that? Oh, God, it was the... I believe it was, it was 19. chapter, yeah. It was the, it was the two, the <laughs> no, I have to tell non- you I know you haven't had the chance to listen to it yet. As someone who, I just moved in with my fiance and we went bedroom set shopping and we went to 14 different stores and we, we looked at one set, then we drove 10 miles, looked at the other set, and then we're like, hmm, was the other one darker than this? And then we got back in the car and during the sex scene when they pulverized the bedroom set, it hurt. <laughs> I'm like, you, someone spent a lot of time picking out that. I know, she was in that bed, for God's sakes, and matches the dresser and the knobs and everything. Exactly. Anyway, no. God. Oh, Lord. We went to Ikea. We were in Ikea forever. Yeah. Oh, my God. You know how I'm long. Like, it takes six to eight weeks and 12 weeks if it's a custom stain, for God's sake. It's like the scene in the <laughs> stitch. Oh. No, no, not the red one. Oh, thank you. Oh, no, no, please. Not the matching bookcase. Oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, Lord. That was a, that was a hellacious chapter. I, yeah, I got really flamed on that chapter because I really ticked some people off um, with their perception of, of Ginny and Harry's um, sex life. But I want—I kind of got a—I I got the care. I wanted to get the characters' point where they were just—they were frustrated on a billion different levels. They were not just sexually frustrated at that point, but they were really frustrated and um, and they didn't know how to talk to each other at that point. And I think sometimes, you know, you just—you you, know—you reach that—you know—you reach that breaking point. And and I never, a god, in a million years and a half, and I do apologize for this ever, 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 ever wanted it to be depicted as, I never, my God, you know, I'm a tremendous woman's rights advocate, and I never wanted to be depicted as rape, but I wanted it to be depicted as a, you know, I am just, we're, it's funny, I have a 10-year-old son, and um, he's a really good kid, and he he never gets into trouble, he's a really dear, dear boy, and one day I get called to the principal's office, and I'm mortified, I'm like, oh my God, I've never been called to the principal's office, and so I go in, I talk to the principal, and evidently there's this tussle on the playground that afternoon. And I, you know, looked at my son and I said, you know, why didn't you use your words? And he looks up at me, you know, with his big blue eyes, and he goes, I ran out of words. 
<laughs> and I was just like, yeah, sometimes you just run out of words. That's <laughs> just plug him. And, um, and I, I just wanted to get those two characters to the point where, you know, they really, really wanted to be with each other and they could, you know, they were their own worst enemy and they just, you know, kind of fell in, fell into each other. But it was, I wanted the dam to break in that scene too because, you know, the next scene, they, mm-hmm. you know, they start to, you know, they start to kind of move down that road. But I want, you know, I wanted them. Everybody's kind of broken in that story. I mean, Mark, who was one of my favorite characters, is really, really a broken character. And um, I wanted, you know, everybody to kind of be broken and, and made whole at the end. Um, and so, but I was not, you know, I was really got a, a, a I got a fifty like I don't, I don't want to say sixty forty, probably sixty negative, forty percent positive review, you know, pass at that. But it's mm-hmm. just the way I kind of wanted. To write that scene, yeah, I, I, uh, I made, uh, I wrote a scene where I wrote one scene. Harry and Ron are in a bar smoking. Oh my god! Oh yeah, you would smoking. have thought I would. You would have thought that I had written that they were. I don't know what people thought. Yeah, take heroin. Like, I mean, I yeah, said, I know exactly, like, and I, you know, what I responded with? I said, "It's late '90s in the UK. Everybody smoked. Right. Everybody yeah. smoked." Oh, yeah. You know, and they're like, well, it just seems like you're glamorizing it. I'm like, I'm using it as a tool. This is a dystopian world. Things are not perfect. They're trying to find a way to release tension. They're smoke, and like everybody I work with smokes. I mean, that's part of my life. It's part of my experience. It's part of their experience, too, is growing up in the 90s. So I kind of understand what that's, that frustration is like. You just want to hit people overhead and go, don't you get it? <laughs> well, it's amazing you say that. It's really amazing you say that because I was going to have Ginny smoke in the beginning instead of you. Instead of eat a lemon drop. No, we the beta reader, the beta reader that was working with me at the time was like, you can't have her smoke. And um, I really had like the whole, you know, yellow fingernails and the whole kind of thing. I I really had an image of her smoking. But because our guest host, um, the one of the guest hosts who filled in that episode, must have read it quickly and thought she was actually chain smoking. She's like, well, she has yellow fingernails. She's obviously smoking. <laughs> like we went back later, and then the, the running gag was that she just hates the environment because she's throwing these you know, lemon drops. Yeah, she's a polluter. She she's is. a polluter. No, they're biodegradable. They're green. Um, <laughs> it is a green. She's green. She's being green. They're biodegradable. She's very they're, they're made of very corn very silk. Very they're made of corn yeah. silk. They what you put your compost in. They're, uh, they're biodegradable. Well, chapter 19, I have to say, um, for, I forget what happened. I, th- I forget if the sex scene was 20 or 19. The the part that, um, I was it was actually very amusing. When um, Harry is, oh, I'm trying to remember now, it was when he was um, doing, was he doing Legilimency on Ginny? And he pushes too far because he wants to see beyond the point which he told Oh, that him was to stop. before that one. Those yeah, were before was, it. Yeah. I, I remember joking on the podcast, like it was like Harry Potter date rapist because it's like Harry doesn't know, when a girl says no, that's what she means no. But the, the next chapter, I have to say, I was just completely consumed with the fact that they destroyed the bedroom set. Because it was like, <laughs> <laughs> like, I didn't care about the rest of it. If you're, like, yeah, we're taking everything out with us. They're just oh, like, and I mean, don't you ever, I mean, I really, I mean, there is, there is a time where you just like wouldn't, love to have, you know, like, just have that kind of abandon where, you know, you don't care, you know, the walls get set on fire and everything else. Harry's like, like, oh my god, my kidney ruptured. He's like, holding himself. <laughs> I know, I mean, for God's sakes, they would be just like, oh, let's just go. But could you imagine, I mean, it, it's so funny, I was really kind of laughing because, 
you know, Ginny is a firebrand. I mean, if they were going to go at each other, it's amazing the room didn't burn down, you know, because, you know, you got two very strong personalities kind of like exploding well, I was and all that magic. Susan. I was pitying Susan. Could you imagine being in the room next to them when they were doing all those months like your explosions? I, I've been on vacation next to those people, you know, it's just like, for God's sakes, you know. You And then the horrible thing is you hear that and then ESPN, you know, clicks on five minutes later. Later. You're like, oh God, for God's sake, we're going to turn off the sports channel for God's sakes, at least. Um, but no, I, I just kind of wanted, and I and I really never meant, oh God, Lord, not to uh, to depict that and stuff like that, um, because I, I mean, I just wanted, I wanted him to, you know, you know, for God's sakes, woman, kiss me, kind of thing in that chapter. Let me ask so, you this too. The biggest complaint I have with the um, with the canon, or especially reading fan fiction so much, is that the character of Ron makes me want to hurt myself after a while because he's so stubborn. And he, like I always joke that you know when Harry and Ginny are ma- are happily married, and and Ginny announces that they're expecting their first child, he'll walk across the table and punch Harry out, even though they're married, because like he's so freaking overprotective of Ginny. Like one of the things that we were talking about was how the characters seemed because it's nine years later and because there was this very long war, the characters are are in many cases very different from how they were, you know, during the canon books. You know, Harry is much more forceful, uh Tonks seemed more subdued, you know, because she was in a position of power. The character of Ron seems so like ultimately laid back, like he was even joking about the fact that Harry and Ron just Harry and Ron, oh God, Harry and Ginny just had such you know like wild sex that they pulverized an entire bedroom set, and they were like joking about it later. I'm like, this is very like, did you make a concerted effort to age the characters? And yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wrote a comment um, to this is not fifteen year old jerk Ron. My reviews actually that I had written about, and it was sorry that you know with Dorothy Sayers because she had written the famous detective called you know she Lord Peter Whimsey hit hence what I took my moniker from, and there was a a, a person who said um, he had read one of the beginning novels, and in the novels the detective ages a good I would say fifteen years or more. And he was very upset in one of the last novels that he read because he goes, oh, my God, you know, he's so different and so, you know, this is ridiculous. And she said if he, you know, if she had kept him with the same sensibilities of the, you know, 20-year-old, you know, bon vivant man about town that he was, drowned him alive or something to that effect. And I really, I, I needed to age those characters and I needed to age them in a in a way that... You know, when people go through really a bad war and they've lost people or they've witnessed death, I don't think they, they could, they'd be very flippant. And at the same time, I think that I wanted Ron to be, I mean, she's a grown woman at that point. And even though you're still protective, I think, of your siblings and stuff like that, I think to a point where he would have recognized that she wasn't a child anymore. I mean, Ginny in the books is quite young. I mean, well, not quite young, but she's still the one of the youngest of the lot and but now she's you know older she's she's a healer she's a professional um and Ron, I wanted Ron you know and I I would think maybe Hermione would have some input into that with his character too you know to getting him to lighten up a bit from that perspective I mean I think he is protective mm-hmm. of her in the story and he does care about her in the story um mm-hmm. But ultimately, I think he really wants, you know, her and Harry to get together. 
I do think that people are very intense at 15. You know, whatever you feel at 15, you feel very intensely. And then you sort of calm down because things you start to realize that there are certain things in life that just don't matter as much. And I think that's how people, when people write older Ron, they sometimes miss that. They right, forget, because, you know. I mean, I think if he was, you know, he's he's well, he's going to be probably close to 25 at that point, too, or 23 or 25, wherever I had landed them. And, you know, he's been through a war and, and, and been through a lot. And, you know, he loves his sister, but it's, at a certain point, I mean, I think that he would still, you know, he would view her that, you know, her private life is her private life at that point and that she's not a child anymore. And that, and I think that would be a good way to write him. I mean, I think it would show a level of maturity. I mean, we think we see him mature a little bit by the end of this regular canon. And, um, and I mean, he's only protective, um, you know, because, you know, he knows exactly what's going on with Harry in, in the canon books. And stuff, but yeah. So I mean, I hope that I, it, they had a lot of fun with him. I mean, com- Ron offers really good comic relief. I mean, if nothing, I had him sing, you know. Yeah. When he was drunk. <laughs> oh, I think know. I remember Spice something girl. about that. <laughs> I was actually <laughs> reading it. I, I, mean, like, I love fan fiction. You cannot get this anywhere. <laughs> it's like the Spice Girls. Yeah, when would write Ron sing the Spice Girls? And I wanted you know some inane, absolutely inane song like if he's going to learn any like Muggle. You know, it wouldn't be anything really classic. Like, he wouldn't be singing Dylan or he wouldn't be singing, you know, OK Go or any, you know, thing really hip or, or, or trendy or anything else like that. He, he would be, uh, he would be definitely doing the Spice Girls. So. <laughs> I have a question. Uh, God forbid I couldn't have him do Neil Diamond. <laughs> uh, God, I'd shoot him. But, uh. What are your favorite characters to write? Because I know this, I'm not sure if it was a result of plot or whatnot, but Hermione was, was very, um, much left out of the story. She was obviously there, but she wasn't a, a main character. And other characters yeah. are very. Are there char- Was it a plot reason? Are there just characters that you favor more than others? No, it's just plot. You know, it's just basically plot reasons. I mean, I like Lupin too. I think um, he's one of my favorite characters, just because, you know, I think he's such a great. I mean, he, the prejudice that he faces, and and you know his internal battles, and um, and I liked his relationship with Harry in that story, that he was a surrogate father figure, and that um, you know that he, you know, I, I love lo- really the two scenes I really liked I, when they were talking by the lake, um, yeah. and, and then then also when they were talking on the boat, on the way to Iona. Was, like old man, what was the? I can't remember. It was like old. Thank you for allowing an old man to right. come along on a young man's journey. Something. Like, oh, yeah, that was a great. I just have to thank you too for putting in the previously on Coven of Echoes moment with Flupin saying, "Let's recap where we've been so far." Right, like, exactly. Thank you, yeah, God. Even I was like, "What the frig are we? Where, because where I, the heck are I we?" Was digging in because the, the the funniest joke it was perfectly summed up by um, one of our guest hosts in, in the podcast that was released. Okay. What exactly is the Coven of Exiles? <laughs> what exactly are they? Exactly it was they really do? funny. Are they like was, the Masons or stuff like that? Yeah, well, it was Keza, and she's like, Gee, I know you've read this story like a thousand and one times. <laughs> I need you to call me and tell me. All right, she's actually not British, she's Australian. There's a secret handshake. I failed. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. They're, uh, they're actually, they're, they're like the Shriners, that's why I told her. 
Yeah, exactly. They get their little cars. They go around in parades. You know? Yeah. They ride tricycles around for, you know, you know, whatever. Do they have the Shriners in Australia? Are the Shriners international? I don't know. About I don't that. know. They're always just, but I, I mean, aren't aren't you kind of fascinated by secret societies? I mean, I'm always just like totally like fascinated by the Masons and all that kind of like I loved, you know, as as popcorn as they were the movies, you know, American Splendor or was it American Splendor? Not American Splendor. You know, the the ones with the, you know, the all the hidden mystery stuff, and you're trying to figure mm-hmm. out those puzzles. Um, but like I the always National them, Treasure and, those, and National Treasure and yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Um, you know, American Splendor that was a lot more serious. Um, but I always love, you know, that, well, I, why are they hiding? You know, where is it? You know, secret passageways and everything, everything's being hidden or people, you know, that have, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's a, it's a archetypical response. I mean, it's a, it's a mythological, you know, thing that we're drawn to is that, you know, secrets. Um, but the coven wasn't necessarily as bad as the Death Eaters. I, and I didn't want to kind of paint them as bad as the Death Eaters. I mean, they weren't, as bad. I think the Death Eaters you can parallel to Nazis, and I think the 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 Coven you can kind of parallel maybe to the Knights Templar or something something like that, where they have good intentions. They honestly honestly believe they're doing the right thing. Right. They just aren't doing the right thing. <laughs> I you wanted know? to play a little bit with government too. You know that you know with American government too. I was kind of playing around with those themes. <laughs> you know. We'll just do it because we're more powerful, and we won't necessarily yeah. think of the repercussions of what we're doing. And so I, I, I did want to play off that you know you had the ugly American kind of coming in there and not really trying to say even over, yeah. caring about anything except what was going on in his own world. Pronounce the American's last name. Oh, Reeds. Reeds. Yes, Reeds. You should have Reeds. Air raids. Yes, it's air raids. Air raids. The Reeds. Yeah, it's the Reeds. Yeah, and it, and it was just totally to be, you know, um, to be. I am scarred. And originally, <laughs> talk about like originally, what I was playing around with the idea of with his name is originally I was going to have um, Harry be incognito and use that name um, in a plot that I was thinking about with another story. And um, and I thought that would be really cool to have Harry, you know, go by that name because he is scarred. Um, but then it, you know, just fit into the character well. And then the character really, you know, was created with his backstory and um, kind of fit it really well. A little too well. much parallel to Tom Riddle that way. So. Yeah. I really yeah. thought and, but there was scarred of- from his personal life. I was going to say, I was, when I was reading Coven Echoes the first time through, is when I was reading it as you were writing it. I, I there was a period in time where I was sure I you know I was drawing very clear parallels between Mark and, and Harry as almost as if Mark was a character that could, could have potentially been Harry if yeah. certain things had happened to Harry he would have ended up like Mark yeah exactly That's kind of what I gathered from that that's that character I thought Mark was fascinating I hated him yeah every, Mark was, yeah, Mark was my, he was a lot of the ugly American and um um. But he wasn't in, in in at the end of the day. He really, really wasn't. And I think, I think he genuinely had feelings for Ginny. I mean, in in a way that he was smart enough to know not to fall in love with her. If that makes any mm. sense. Um, but that he, you know, appreciated her for who she was, and you know, for the you know drive that she had. Um, and also, I think really appreciated Harry. But he was so 
broken. And he was just so intense on finding this because he had lost everything um, mm-hmm. as a result of this. And, and he was so intent on protecting his daughter, too. Um, but he also was just so broken, he didn't know how to even start. You know, he didn't, he, he, he could just operate on that one line. Um, and, and I, and I wanted, I hope I did, but I don't know if I, if I gave him really, a, I wanted him to grow into being more of, you know, more of a human being with that as he, you know, he gets out. He's still crudgemudgeny. He'll always be crudgemudgeny, but, you know, that he was a, a really kind of broken character and, and something that Harry could be. And if Harry had not gone back to Ginny, or something had happened to Ginny, or something like that, that he could have easily become Mark, a character like Mark, potentially. Yeah, that was um, me too. But I mean, sent, Harry's much more powerful. Yeah, I think I sent you a message in the forum saying, I hate Mark, and then like... <laughs> I hate Mark, yeah, like, oh, yeah. God, I wanted everybody to hate Mark in the beginning. I wanted everybody to hate Mark. But I really, the, my favorite, I think my favorite, one of my favorite scenes to write was the scene with Mark and um, Ginny at the... Um, at the at the restaurant at the bar after the after the gala where he's sitting and he's explaining to her as best he can what's happened in his past with his wife and everything else like that and um and that and that how hard that was for him to just talk and i think i spent a lot of time on his hands in that chapter because yeah. i really wanted him you know to try to almost being trying to be expressing things with his hands um but that you know, I wanted him to also have a little bit of a happy ever after with um, Tamsin, maybe, but we don't know. You know, at least they're going to go get a drink at the end. So. Well, getting a drink's a good start. At mm-hmm. a vampire bar, you know, so. my favorite, One of my favorite has to be, you know, the scene with Harry in the boat. And, you know, he, he realizes, like, you know, Ginny sent up the bat signal and he realizes that Ginny's still alive. And he tells... I, I forget the exact turn of events. He tells the monk to have um, have Ron follow him, and he, he takes off and he discovers Ginny on the shore. And I was laughing my butt off because they have this beautiful moment, and then they proceed to have sex 16 times. And all I can think of during the entire exchange is, shouldn't Ron be showing up any minute? Like... <laughs> Shouldn't they go into this thinking they've got ten minutes max? I mean, I just, that was one. Of my, like, I just thought, like, what, like, what, what, what was your intention, like, writing that? Like, talk about that part because it seemed like you put so much emotion into. Oh, into that that island. Yes. Reunite. Yeah, you know that place. Yeah. Um. Actually, that there's a scene. I think a line where he talks about. He's looking out at the night or something like that, and he's talking about jewels and colors and mm-hmm. stuff like that, I think. And that was actually, I was reading The Hobbit over again, <laughs> and the scene in The Hobbit where um, in the beginning, or, or somewhere in the beginning, where he's talking about looking at a sky or looking at something, and, and he's expressing it in the terms of jewels and everything else like that. And I was really touched by that passage. I mean, I'm, I'm touched by everything that man writes, but I really wanted... You know, he finally, you know, he's finally gotten what he wants, and he, you know, so knows that that's, you know, what he wants. I wanted it, I, I spent a lot of time crafting that that cottage, you know, what it mm-hmm. looked like, and I liked that it was kind of ramshackled, and it was barely kind of standing, and the birds were in the lentils and stuff like that with it, or that were doves. And when I was actually in Iona once, and um, there's a cathedral, or an abbey out there, 
And it's really amazing because there is this kind of, there's a lot of crofters' cottages on the island proper, but um, at the cathedral there's this one window, and I remember I wished I had my camera, but three doves kind of nested in this one window in the um, abbey that's out there. And it was just the most amazing, like gorgeous kind of, symbol and I wanted to use that in that it, it, that's just kind of like ramshackle little places where they you know start um, you know where they where they uh, you know are starting back up again or, or not starting back up they think they started back up at Hogwarts but you know where they are you know ultimately going to um, you know start the rest of their lives together and um, and I liked the idea of him leaving something at the house too yeah. and so I played around with those images a lot I was very amused because I believe at the like you have no idea when we record these things we get so juvenile if it's late at night. <laughs> not. All I can picture is when Harry impregnated Ginny. I believe he actually he affected the tides, which I'm like, all right, let's get this straight. The tides are controlled by the gravitational pull of the moon. Harry overcame <laughs> the tides. He has super <laughs> sperm. <laughs> Well, you know, we never actually, I mean, uh, we always assume that that um, magic works, you know, that a magical body is the same as a human body, but do we really ever know that? I mean, we, I guess we do. I mean, no one ever, you know, talks about it in any way, shape, or form. I mean, I talk a little bit about it in the book that, you know, magic is in your DNA. So, you know, do we sure. act, you know, do things, can we get pregnant faster? I don't know, you well, know, but she's easily, so God knows. I mean, she's going to get pregnant at the drop of a hat, so. That's true, too. Plus, you know, if Harry has it, then obviously Arthur Weasley has it as well because he has, you know, seven kids and however many Right, years, exactly. So. I mean, yeah, I, I could imagine her getting pregnant, like, you know, you breathe on her. And plus, remember, she's kind of been kept from being pregnant for a long time. Right. So for those yeah. of us who are familiar with that, the way that it works, once you go off, you're even more susceptible to Yes, I was going to say, grandma drugged her, so there was some issues going on there as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So she's like hyper-fertile. You know, he can basically breathe on her, and <laughs> she is. But Well, that was know. what was so creepy about it, because grandma's whole plan was to essentially raise a child who would become, you know, the dark, like, this completely terrifying plan of, you know, you know, you're going to have your child, but you're going to forget the fact that your child is going to... Oh, yeah. You know, hey, the, that is pretty. It's Very a, Rosemary's Baby. It's such a creepy plan, and all I could think of is, you have one hour. I'm like, why can't... <laughs> it's like, it's night and day in terms of scariness. I just... I, well, I, did you ever see the movie Rosemary's Baby? I didn't, know. Oh, God. I think it is the singularly scariest movie. And, you know, the premise is it's, there's this couple that moves into this, you know, Manhattan apartment and basically it's a bunch of evil witches and they Mia Farrow gets pregnant by who she thinks is her husband but it's not necessarily and um and what was so creepy about that movie is the normalcy of it and even though um Madame Kuzlova is very a very you know flamboyant character there's a certain methodical you know, she is doing what she needs to do to get to an end to that. Um, but, but, you know, and that choice that she kind of, at that choice at the end where it's just like, you know, and I, as a, as a mother, I would think that the most horrific thing you could possibly do is to, you know, not only, you know, know you're going to lose your child or that bond's going to be severed, but that they're going to become ultimately evil or they're going to be raised by somebody, you know, that is going to hurt them. 
I mean, and you can't protect them. I think that is what's so, I would, I think would terrify any parent. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but my kids have been driving me crazy lately, so I'm about <laughs> to sell them anyway to the gypsies, so. <laughs> And they'd be returned. The gypsies would say, we don't want them. Please give them back. <laughs> no, no, no. They, with, they're worse. You, you thought living with Susan was hard. <laughs> exactly. Susan, nothing. Well, I got, yeah, know, poor I, Susan. Oh, my God. Poor Susan. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, because when I um, was listening to the, when we recorded the first episode, I only had read, like, up to whatever chapter we had done, like, chapter six or whatever it was. And um, everyone, we prepared notes. You know, here's everyone's notes for chapter one. Here's everyone's notes for chapter two. And we put them up so that as we're talking, we can remember points. And someone's note was, uh, Susan poisons Jenny dot, 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 again. I'm like, okay, apparently Susan's a bad character because I wasn't yeah. aware of that. So as but I'm reading... So as I'm... Well, I don't know that. All I know from that is that she's poisoned. <laughs> so as I'm reading the book, uh, as I'm reading it, she's like, oh, here, Jenny, have some juice. I'm like, that. She's doing it again. And I'm reading through it like I'm watching everything Susan does. I'm like, this is very bad. This is very, very bad. I have to say, I have to say, rereading it for the podcast is a very different experience because I was reading it as it was being written, of course. And I would remember I would have to go back maybe a couple chapters just to refresh my memory on what was happening. But I never sat down and read it all in one chunk, you know? Uh-huh. Until just now, and not because I don't love you, but because I'd read it all. You know? <laughs> and uh, it was it was it was it's interesting. I think one of the interesting phenomenons of, of fandom reading is that you read chapters as they're being written. Yeah, you know, which is very different than reading a book. It's a different yeah, experience. And uh, yeah, it's like Dickens. Well, well God, I'm not going to go there, but Dickens, you know, when he wrote anybody that writes serials. You know, and yeah. it is. It is just kind of a, but it is. It's an addiction too, and that's the hard thing too, when you're writing. I mean, the good thing about writing fan fiction is, is it's great exercise to produce quantity of work at a deadline, and mm-hmm. really get it, you know, done and um and I have a, a deadline. Yeah, Don't you think? I think it's a drug. Actually, I think it's a drug. I think the instant <laughs> feedback is what keeps. I every every um every few months I swear off a of fan fiction. I did yesterday. Swear off a of fan fiction. You're the host and of then, a fan fiction podcast. Well, I mean, I love fan fiction, but the point is that you can't you. Can't, I can only like write some people will things only read stuff that's done. You know, right. I know a lot of people. Right. I will not touch a work unless it's done because I also, you know, if someone just stops writing, there was a great. I think I referenced it. Um, what was it called? Was it called Jenny? I'm trying to remember. Jenny. Yeah, it's yeah, old Jenny. Fan fiction. That yeah. I really liked. I thought it was really charming, and she never finished it. And I wish someone would pick it up and finish it. Um, it was a great What's story. What's up to, like, chapter 20-something? The first 10 are available online, but there was 20 at one point, but they got taken down from mm-hmm. to your eyes or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and it was just a great... I mean, and it left at this kind of, like, pivotal moment where you're, you're waiting for him to be, you know, drugged back so he gets his memory back. Um and it was great. But, I mean, it, and I, you know, and, and poor Miss, you know, she never finished Cursed, and I know she gets hounded, you know, to finish it. But the problem is, is I think some people, you know, just either start writing other things or everything. So I think it takes a lot of discipline to finish mm-hmm. a long work. And finish it, it well, you know, bow it, you know, well. Mm-hmm. Was Cursed ever going to be finished? Because I think I actually read 
I think it's abandoned. Isn't it abandoned? Last I heard, yeah. she, she put out official word that she was never going to finish it. I don't know. You know, I don't know what she's going to do. I know That's she's written the- other fan fiction stuff, but in different genres. And that, mm-hmm. um, and that, but she's got her hands full now. Now she's really busy, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it is, but you're right. I mean, it is kind of like a drug. And especially if you find, you know, I always found that there were particular, like you and I mean, particular authors that I really, really loved and that I would just, you know, I'd read the phone book that they wrote it. And, um, and, and you do and you, and you like it and it, and it allows you to stay in that world or sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, explore parts of that world that the author that would never be able yeah. to do it. You know, exactly. I mean, I she's she's a, a she's a great. I mean, she's great on. She's amazing on plot. She's amazing on. But I mean, she's never going to write romance. I mean, no. That was not you know the age that she was writing for the the themes that she was writing about. She would never touch that. So right, you know, right. So That's why I think it would be very difficult for her to go and and people are saying, well, she needs to write a you know a post. You know, I want to see a post Hogwarts novel with Harry and Jenny and all these people, and I just—I don't think that I'm not—I'm not saying she's not capable of it. I'm just saying I don't think that she's demonstrated that capability yet. Oh, you I guys very don't think. I mean, what are your opinions about her writing anything else in that in that in that? I world? think that she would be—I uh, think it would be a, a, a not a good idea. To be well, quite honest with you, well, the, what the, do you think, Scott? Or her writing—I mean, depends on what she does with it. She could easily end it now, and that would be it. She could write things in the same world without using um, the same central characters, possibly. Um, think More things like the textbooks or encyclopedias and things like that is a different sort of thing, because she can use the the information that she's got as background without having to make story as such out of it. Um, where those stories are at the moment it's sort of um, everything's kind of wrapped up there's not a lot more that she can do and if she did try to um, write them in their mid-twenties it would be very different kinds of stories it's not the same thing because part of what made um, Harry Potter the way it is is it's structured around the school year and these things happen there's always some sort of mystery and then something else happened and um it's a very they're very similar um backbones to each story and um writing that somewhere else wouldn't it wouldn't be the same thing no i agree i actually do agree i think it's it's really i mean i know people have a lot of different opinions about you know, the way she ended it yeah. or, you know, what they wanted at the ending versus what happened, you know, happened at the ending. Uh, um, but I think that to revisit it, I think it's just best to, to kind of let it be. What do you think, Ryan? Do you um, think? I was just actually thinking about this. One of the things that like on the podcast, like we'll read the fan fiction and like take this one and like, you know, during the, the chapter 19, you know, fair, we'll be talking about, you know, Harry pushing Ginny too far. Or we'll be talking about, you know, the super sperm. We'll, you know, we'll cry too. <laughs> I mean, and, and we'll, and we'll analyze it. And it, it's funny. I'll say, well, you know, this could never have happened. This could never have happened. This could never have happened in the canon. And then you read Deathly Hallows and you have Harry, you know, I think they imperious every single person in the story. Harry's casting the Cruciatus curse in front of McGonagall. I'm like, if this was not fan fiction, we would roast this author right. alive. So I don't know. I'm thinking that the story's done, and I don't know. I have to feel like it's reaching the point where I think, mm-hmm. 
I don't know. If she tried to bring it back, it would seem contrived. Yeah, you have yeah. to have a good reason to do it. You can't... Like I'm, a, like, I'm a Star Trek fan, and they've had 17 different shows. I mean, you can't just do it for the sake of doing it. If you do it, you have to have a very specific reason why you're doing it, and you have to have a new direction that you can take it. You can't just have, in, you know... Um, I don't know. I would, I would oh. read Alba Severus in the Escape to Azkaban or something. Well, you know, what I'm saying is, if you're going to sit down to write that story, know why you want to write the story, know why that story is going to be... Why it's going to be different? Why it's going to bookend? Why it's going to complement what came before it? I, I, I guess, and, and this is probably something that affects everything. This is just you know far beyond just the question of Joe Rowling continuing. If you're going to write a story, write a story because you have something to tell. Don't say I want to write another Harry Potter story and then sit down and, and really try really hard to come up with something to write. And I guess the answer is if she has more to tell, tell it. If she feels as though it's done, don't force it. Right. Yeah, and I think yeah, I think that's kind of where she's, you know, or at least you know, reading her stuff. I think you know that that you know she ended it the way she wanted, you know, the way that she wanted to end it. You know that there was you know there was happiness, but there was pain. You know, in in what she felt was equal measure, and then you know ended that story out. But. It, it's interesting. I mean, it, it is a, an incredible, you know, world, and it's such a rich world. And, you know, to go back to being a Star Trek fan and things like that, but I agree, you know, if you're going to do it, then you probably would be best served doing different characters, either the younger generation or, you know, something like that, that you might be able to still be in the world, but you're, you know, you're telling a different story. Yeah, like the Star Trek example, a bunch of people sit down in the room, okay, let's make a new Star Trek series. What's everyone want to write about? And they try and figure out the time frame, then they try and figure out some characters, then they're like, well, what can we write? Whereas there's other authors, like we were talking about earlier with you, who have a specific idea for a story. I want to tell something about this. And then they try and you know, flush it out and, and, and make See, Ryan's show. saying, don't write like Chi writes. Yeah. <laughs> That's what cracks me up. Is he's like, don't just set out with a general like, well, because I, I don't. What, what I actually, I frustrated my editor to bits. She wants to strangle me right now because it's done and it makes sense and it just shouldn't make sense. Because I started down with a character's name and a sentence and I had no idea of the plot, no other characters, just started writing. But you had some basic... It's not like you said, I must write something, then sat down. I could write about toasters. I could write... (laughs) What shall I write about today? You know what you're going to... No, yeah, I, I mean, I think that, wouldn't you? No, <laughs> but I, I mean, everybody writes differently. I mean, everybody, yeah. you know, you know, comes to it differently. I do. I well, I mean, by the time I'm done with the first chapter, I I do know where the story's going, and I have the theme in mind. And I I do. I mean, that's a, like uh, you're talking about the books that talked about um themes. Uh, so what do you think of one of the? What do you think of the? Oh, what are the themes that you want people to walk away with for Covenant Echoes? Because I have oh, my ideas. That's a good question. Um. Let's hear your ideas first, and we'll see how close. <laughs> Let's see how it goes. Like, oh, do I? <laughs> I would like think. Year? <laughs> I would think uh, forgiveness would be a theme. Mm-hmm. I would think, well, forgiveness and redemption. Like she's a healer and heals broken people, and she is also a broken person. And all the basically all the major characters are broken in some way and come to resolve that through the story. 
So yep, like a time heals all things. Truth yeah. and connection, because it's the same thing we said when we were covering after the end. If these characters would sit at the table and talk to each other for thirty seconds, there would be no story. Right. Well, I think that's the same thing with life, though. It if is. we would all sit down at a table and talk for thirty seconds, there would yeah. be no problem. Like think think of the confusion between Harry and Ginny. If only they had talked about it. If only someone had said something. That's you know, could this have all been avoided? Oh, yeah, and I got a lot of flack, too, on that, because it was just like, no, you know, he would have, you know, found her out, he would have done that stuff, but I asked people to look in their own lives and to look at, you know, relationships that they have or, you know, friends they haven't spoken to for a long time and they don't pick up the phone anymore, and, and granted, it's a much more intense relationship and everything else like that, but, I mean, you know, real life is very messy, and real life, you know, we make so many mistakes emotionally and the people we love are sometimes the people that we are you know least understand and the the most that we hurt there's you know the great book of river runs through it um that i love and that one of my favorite books and um you know the most powerful line is the people that we love are the people we understand the least sometimes and i i think that that exactly what I wanted to try to get through with the story is, is I just didn't, you know, I didn't want, they weren't happy kids anymore. And, and they, you know, they really did. They, you know, they had a lot of hurt and everybody, I mean, literally everybody, um, I mean, even to them, you know, even to like Tamsin, who is a very, you know, funny character in her own way. I mean, she's still hurt too. I mean, and I think she genuinely, had feelings for Harry and cared about him. I mean, she's not the best communicator in the world by far at all in the world. Um, but um, she was definitely, you know, she definitely, you know, was a hurt person. Yeah, so you guys, yes, you're perfect, A+. plus. You <laughs> did a great job. Very Even, exactly. I'm tremendously impressed with you guys. <laughs> a random question. Somebody was just wondering, um, where did Tagrid get the egg that became Lucy. How did a Loch Ness monster wind up in, or whatever it is that she is? What is she a crossbreed of some kind? That sort of thing. Oh, or if she was completely random. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I don't know. Lucy is great. I like Lucy. Lucy was an invention of Fritz 42's son, actually, I think. Uh, uh, the kind of, I, I said, I kind of want this. What do you think you can do for me? And so he's great at creating, um, you know, weird animals and, and things like that. I don't know. I kind of like the idea that, you know, that I like the idea that the lake at Hogwarts is got like underground things that lead out to other lakes that lead out to other things. And I like the idea that it's really maybe really deep and that, um, you know, that he just, you know, that it just kind of, he just kind of found it. And, uh, okay. and I like the, or, you know, washed up on the shore, or, you know, found it in some, you know, nest, or it came up, or, or whatever, or, um, yeah, I just like it. You know, it's, it's very Hagrid, you know, that he likes to take care of, you know, god awful things, and, and thinks that they make wonderful pets. You know, we'll take in anything. So, but, but I like Lucy. I like Lucy. It was cute. Mm-hmm. The, a cute little conve- invention that he did. But her son, he her son's going to be a fabulous writer in his own right because he's got a just tremendous imagination. I mean, he can, you know, envision tremendously frightful things and tremendously cute things at the same time. 
and he's going to be a really good writer, too. Well, I think so, after reading The Interior of Grandma's Shop of Horrors, I think you should sell <laughs> yourself down the river there. You... Yeah. <laughs> I'm, it's quite, that yeah, was, that that was, was great, uh, man. I'm reading and I'm calling Chi. I'm like, I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you guys are silly. Um, but no, I love the bell jars. I know, love the things in the jars, you know, just trying to get out, you know, not being in and got, and the thing, uh, do you guys ever read any, um, oh, Stephen King's Pet Cemetery? I haven't, yeah. but I can imagine. Oh, uh, yeah. Stephen King's usually so gore out, you know, usually really, you know, so much. But the great thing about but Pet Cemetery does, yeah. is oh. he held back. You know, there was mm-hmm. so much he didn't say. And I, I love that idea that, you know, you don't know why those things are in there and you can kind of see. Or I liked the idea, like, I wanted when they were walking over the grate you know, that there was something underneath that grate, you know, and they didn't know what it was. I love that idea of just something in the dark that's just you don't know, but you know something's there. I just love the humor, too. It's Harry and Ron, and Ron's like you first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, like, all going in. Or when they're, you know, when they're trying to get a, yeah, I want it, you have to have a humor in there because you, you have to have something to absorb. Oh, the dog, the, the guy at the bar with the dog. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love that. Nobody liked that scene. Oh, or nobody lo- ever commented on that oh, scene. I love lo- that oh, oh, Listen to our podcast. They go in there. They, they there, there's a that. whole conversation about that. Yeah. It's the dog yeah. and then the dumpster. Oh, oh yeah, and, 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 and then they have a soul bond, and how can he tell that she's a woman? And, <laughs> and you, yeah. you, know, you, a little crazy. To, you listen to the podcast, but do you have any thoughts on Ron weathering fish and chips and somehow not being masculine? Ordering fish and chips and not being masculine? Apparent, apparently, it's a very wussy meal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a wussy, wussy thing out. Oh, it's just probably just my terrible Americanisms coming in and stuff like that. Um, but I just, you know, no, no, I, I just wanted them not ordering haggis. You know, they were just absolutely <laughs> disgusting. They were just like, oh, God. Because I've seen haggis before, and I was like, wild horses couldn't get me to eat that. And, uh, you know, that gelatinous kind of shake and stuff. But, uh, yeah, so, no, I, it was just, it's probably another one of those dumpster skip wheelie things. Well, that no, I... listen to the podcast because there's a whole haggis discussion. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, oh yes. God. We they, Googled, they Googled and found out what is in haggis. They could have just called me. I could have told them. But exactly. uh, <laughs> we make the mistake of you ever having Wikipedia available while we discuss That's this. true. That's true. That's it's good. terrible. We have. Wiki some really interesting things on our podcasts. Puff things the that Magic not... Dragon. Why were we on Puff... Puff the Magic Dragon? I don't know, but because there's Ron, a lot of Harry makes a comment about Lucy, and yeah, there was a whole <laughs> thing about whether Harry would know about that, and yes, he would, and would Ron respond, and would we went, yeah. It's uh, really, yeah, it's really he, sad. You know, I spent so much time like looking up, you know, latitude and longitudinal <laughs> stuff, and there actually is an island there. If you- they all Staffa and the music and everything, and everybody's like, "Oh God, all you're talking about is the dumpster." I'm like, I spent so much time talking about the, the island and the music and everything else like that. I was like, "Oh." Some of my favorite images were of the monastery, though. I love oh, that. Yeah. Like that setting was, mm-hmm. and then you provided the link um, on Phoenix Song of the monastery that you. Or the the building that you base the monastery off. Yeah, the cloisters. Yeah, the just the yeah. original scene is really evocative. And that's Harry's... really mm-hmm. um, full of medieval and all the Flemish tapestries, the unicorn tapestries. I think are still housed there. And I remember going there as a child a lot, and it was 
other than you can get really lost in Spanish Harlem and have your life turn into Bonfire of the Vanities really quick <laughs> if you go <laughs> if you get lost near the cloisters. But um, I liked the idea that in cold weather, even all the flowers would still be blooming. I really wanted it to be the absolute antithesis of Kuzulova's shop, was that mm-hmm. y- y- you had all this beautiful, you know, flowers and all this, you know, this lovely fountain and, and everything was peaceful. And um, I, I really wanted it the absolute bookend of those two images with that. And I like, I mean, I've always been drawn to monks. I don't know why, even in Robin Hood and stuff like that. But I like the, um, you know, I love the ideas of, of, you know, them being almost, they're warrior monks. It's mm-hmm. a, I mean, they can fight. They're not wussy. And uh, and they're not eating fish and chips. And uh, so they're, uh, <laughs> but I like, yeah, I like that. And I like that, you know, kind of, you know, walk, walk up you know, that path and, and, and when you, and the flowers are blooming and, the, and everything's really, you know, gorgeous. Yeah, I was going to say I was going to pass this on to a few of my uh, friar acquaintances. I know a few friars, Franciscan monks, and uh, <laughs> I was I was telling on the podcast, I was like, I, I should send them this stick. <laughs> it would probably Got their little robes, got their little belts, got, you know, everything else like that. But yeah, so, and I want, and, and, and I wanted, I love, you know, those islands that are out there because they really are amazingly beautiful. And, and they are, do, I mean, on Iona, you know, you get that white sand. It's almost like a, at points when the wa- light hits the water, it's almost like a Caribbean effect, which is so odd out in the middle of Scotland. And, um, you know, I was there for my honeymoon and we were out there, or we were out, you know, throughout, um, England and Scotland and we were, you know, and mall and all the islands and, <laughs> excuse me, um, it's just, it's fascinating. It's a really beautiful, really mystical kind of place. And you can understand, you know, it has a real presence to it. It has a real feel to it that I loved. And I wanted to incorporate that in the story and use it. So I did. Mm-hmm. I just love the moment on the island when Harry, I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but Hagrid tells Harry not to step outside of the circle and all of the werewolves have surrounded him, but they can't seem to step inside of the circle. Oh, yeah. And Harry decides to step outside of the circle to see what will happen. Of course. I just... I I want to commend you on getting Harry right, because that's exactly what Harry would do. (laughs) Exactly. Why stay in the circle? Step outside the circle. Exactly. And I actually read a lot of... um, one of the battles in one of the books, I can't remember which one I read over and over and over again, um, where he's be, he's fighting with werewolves. And I, oh God, what scene was it? And I was trying to read it to get it right, to get the feeling of the fight right. Um, because I wanted a lot of smell and taste and blood and, and biting and teeth and that kind of whole feel in it. And then I wanted him to hit the water um, to get us to escape. And I like that feeling... Um, it was almost like the reverse Jaws image where you're in the water and, you know, the the malevolent force is on the beach at that point. You've got to switch places. And then, uh, and then you, you know, when he washes up on the, on the shores and, you know, gets up to the monastery. And I wanted to play with that image of the bird in the gate, you know, because you have that repeat image of another bird, you know, and um, as opposed to Kuzlova's front door that had all that kind of, it almost moved. It had a, a real kind of provocative, evil texture to that front door. Um, 
because I, I wanted also, it's going to sound really strange, but I wanted to endow, and I hope I did, but probably maybe didn't, but Kuzlova with a very kind of sensual, uh, almost very, you know, sh- very uh, earthy kind of feel to her. I mean, um, too, she was very, you know, she she really, you know, liked to plant things. She liked to create life as twisted as it was. And that was her, you know, raison d'etre was to get, you know, she felt that Voldemort was a failure. She felt everybody else was a failure. And so she was basically going to graft like a plant the most evil wizard she could possibly do and and she wanted the extreme of power and 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 felt that if she could get Harry and you know Ginny and all of this other stuff in this brew basically for want of a better word she could create this you know it was all nature versus and nurture because she would ultimately take responsibility too of that child um, and that was her you know her her goal or her you know what she wanted. And, you know, you don't know. There's always that, you know, like Boys from Brazil and all those other books that played around with that thought. You know, well, if you if you could, how, you know, if you could re- recreate evil people and nurture them evilly, would they ultimately be evil? You know, or is there something, you know, that genetically happens? So that was a neat dilemma to play around with. There really was, and it's so much better than the bullhorn from Deathly Hallows. <laughs> I can't even, can't even get I'm sending you a bullhorn after this is done. Do it. You got mine. It's like oh. I'll get you a San Francisco bullhorn. So. <laughs> a foghorn. I can get you a foghorn. We in Boston would appreciate it over here. I'll send you some clams and some lobster. Where are you? I am in. I'm in a small town about ten miles north of Boston. Oh wow! Because actually, um, I have relatives that are from Marblehead, and actually, uh, my husband's uh, from Portland. Oh really? I yeah. work. He's in, actually in Portland right now. I'm probably about. Oh. 15 minutes from Marblehead right now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We're going up there. We'll, we'll be there this summer. So we go up to, you know, up to, to off the coast of Maine for a little bit on a little diamond island, those islands that are off of there. Oh, cool. Yeah, so, yeah, so fabulous, fabulous place. Know that? Beverly Danvis. Danvis, yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> she picks up the accent right away. I love it. Oh, no, I've been married to the accent for a while. And then you get together with you people and you can't understand you at all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, my fiance lived in, um, she lives in, she was born in Haverhill, or Haverhill, as people who don't live here call it. And then right, she, exactly. um, she moved to New York City for a year and we were watching some like like old videos that she had taken before she moved and she completely lost the Boston accent. When she was oh, I got to watch Car Talk just so I can get back. No, exactly. Do they still make Car Talk? Oh, yeah. I used to listen to it with my dad all the time. I haven't listened to it in a very long time. But now that she's been back since April 27th, so she's been back, what's that, like three and a half weeks, she completely has the Boston accent back. It's the funniest thing in the world. It's like you can't. I do. I different types of Boston accents, too, depending. Yeah. You know, there's Southie. There's, you know, a different, you know, strain. It's like New York. There's, you know, Brooklyn and the Bronx. And, you know, you definitely, you got to, you know, and then Maine, of course. Forget it. Yeah, yeah. Me and Eustace going down. <laughs> you can't get so there from funny. here. I, you can't get I there. Really, <laughs> I think America's so funny because, like, we are. They in Britain too. They can tell like what neighborhood you're from, but even in states, you can tell like what part of the state people are from based on how they talk. Mm-hmm. Like, if you put R's in the middle of words that don't belong there, then you're from Western Kansas. Like, if you say Warsh or oh, uh, and actually, oh, you're from really Ontario. And I would be terribly remiss if I did not, oh God, this this would be just absolutely awful. Um, My beta, I violinist, who was 
incredible. I mean, she was just an incredible beta. And if it wasn't for her, I mean, not that I got the, you know, Hagrid's dialect right or anything else like that, but thank God for her because I just realized I can't write dial. I just. I refuse to write in dialect because I'm terrible at it. <laughs> I just could not. And she just, you know, and she's funny because she's just like, this is so bad. <laughs> I'm just like, okay, <laughs> then you write it because I cannot do this. And um, and she was just a great, oh, my God, she was a great beta. And, and, and it was a rough year. We wrote through some really, really rough times. I mean, she, her grandpa, I mean, died. I mean, it was a really, really rough year for her, and she was just fabulous. So I've really got to give her a huge shout-out because she was just, um, remarkable and a really, really good beta to a really good teacher because I'm, you know, my creative use of commas is beyond the pale. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even get me started on semicolons. Oh my god! <laughs> like, I can. Never, I was never able I, to understand those. To be quite honest, I use I use the dash. I'm a I'm a chronic user of the dash, and uh, my one of my beta readers is about ready to kill me for it. <laughs> we just did this thing on our forum where we, we, people were. We couldn't understand what some people were typing, and I actually feel bad about it because we made this huge. We picked on this one guy in our forum for um, for not proofreading and for you know having like you know like spaces in the middle of words. Well, as it turns out, his um, computer was badly damaged. He was working on the podcast and he like dropped his laptop and broke his laptop in half. So his keyboard has been like partially non-functional for weeks. So the poor guy's trying to type the best he can, but he has like. 17 of his leathers don't work and we're like screaming at him for being hard to understand even though like I felt bad about that when I realized that but we there was a thing where we, we were asking people to use proper grammar and people were complaining about it I'm like look I put I, I put 17 commas in every sentence I can't do it either and I'm a freaking like, but do your best but like yeah, so she was just an amazing, you know, she's amazing, amazing beta. And, you know, we were just, cr- you were crunching some serious words through. And, you know, and trying to juggle real life uh, around all of that was just, she's just remarkable. I know, great person, a really, really fun person. So um, that was a wonderful gift of the story was I, I got to meet a tremendous amount of really nice people. And, um and and some real, you know, that and since then she's come out to visit and stuff. And we've had a really yeah. nice time. So she's coming out again this summer, and hopefully, oh God, well she's not staying here because I'd have to put her in the plastic wrap in the backyard in the pit. <laughs> so, I was half tempted, as an as a thing, is to you know what I really wanted to play around with is the house I move them into at the end, and just yeah. have it like starting to fall apart and just draw upon you know do the money pit with you know with. Um, <laughs> Harry and Jimmy. They get divorced five years. Yeah, I always wanted to have, like, my favorite cre- reality show, and I'm not going to curse on the air, but it would be the, this old effing house, and just start with, like, this happily married couple, and then by the end, they're just ready to murder each other, and everything just goes wrong. That was you know, the, um, that was, what was it, Mad About You, the one with Helen Hunt? They did the, they did the whole series, and then, like, the last episode was told from the daughter's perspective 20 years later and they're like oh how that end oh yeah they got divorced <laughs> like, yeah I know I was like oh god <laughs> they eventually they eventually got back together but they were divorced for like 10 years like oh god terrible. oh god yeah and Rosebud's a sled you know it's like oh this is awful and the dog died yeah <laughs> oh, yeah exactly and then we had to eat it oh, but it was fine it tasted good that sounds um, like a country song though <laughs> No, what grandma? No, your mother's in the graveyard and daddy's in the pen. That was my favorite country song. 
but uh, um, no, yeah. So I'm playing. I was playing around with that idea, just to have you know this ultimately, you know, you know this, this house just falling, you know, this haunted house or this haunted magical house falling apart. I love but, the turkey that flies through the from one wing to the other through the window from the money pit. That was a great scene. Yeah, I like yeah, and the raccoon in the in the laundry chute and the bathtub. And oh, she has rabies yet. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love it when he falls out of the house and he like fall he like goes down in the cart down the hill and ends up in the um oh, in the fountain and yeah, it pees on yeah, him. Yeah, it pees on him. That's just a great moment. <laughs> but I like two weeks when you said earlier. Two, like, weeks. two weeks. Two weeks. Well, it's like, ever watch um, Green Acres, and they had the two people who were fixing their house, then they did, like, the reunion special 26 years later, and the two people were still trying to fix their house. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, no, 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 no. No, so, yep. But, I mean, how is the, uh, to ask you guys just a general question and stuff, how is the world of fan fiction these days? I mean, with the books being done, do people, is there still the... Um, level of writing. I mean, are they, I mean, the amount of writing, or have people, uh, you know, amount, how is it going? The amount really, because we've talked to people from all the various sites. The, she would you, what would you say? The amount from what people have seen I would say it varies on from site to site. The Quidditch pitches is, is really had a lot of, but that's the smut site, and it's had a lot of growth. I would say Phoenix <laughs> Song. Um, has slowed down, but only in as much as those of us on the administration team of that website and the beta-ing team of that website are all of us getting older, all of us getting more absorbed in other things. And I think the fandom is kind of transitioning. Like, you know, um, back when GT collapsed, there was a shift in power in, you know, old people left, new people took over. And while that was happening, there was kind of an awkward phase. I think that's kind of where we're at now, but I think it's it's starting to pick up again. Um, but there well, was just this. Of things are shifting, but there's there's a lot more. Um, there's just as much AU as before. There's yeah. probably more of that. There's a lot of um, inter epilogue things, like between the ending of the last chapter and the start of the epilogue. Oh. And then there's a lot of um, fic with uh, Teddy and Victoire and Albus and. The new generation I have sort of to thing. Say, they just did this amazing. I I'll have to email you the link. They just did um, live journal. Our Becca just did a uh, Harry Jenny challenge, and like people came out of the woodwork to do this thing to do this challenge. It was like me and Magnolia Mama and uh, uh, like all like all the big name in the fandom. Aggie Bell, um, just people I haven't heard from in years came out to do this challenge at Live Journal for Harry Jenny and produced amazing stuff. Just the quality of work was insane on this challenge. I read all of it and it's like it's something like fifty fix. And they're all fabulous. So Now what do you guys feel um each of you feel where YA is going do you see um other series? Do you see other things that you like personally in YA right now? Um in that in that, I mean, um, what you're reading, or are you reading just a lot of stuff, or if you become, you know, entranced with anything else? Um, like, well, for me, I came into it when Half Blood Prince came out, so I've been here from when was that? That was mid 2000. When did Half Blood Prince come out? What was that 2005? Yeah, 2005. So I was, I so I've been, re- I I read like 
consistently from late two th- from like mid two thousand five to the beginning of two thousand seven, and that's when the podcast started. And with the podcast, I've kind of been reading with that. Um, I like for me personally, I, I'm getting the sense that there, there's a lot of other like genres I'm interested in. Actually, starting a second podcast, which is other genre stuff, because just so we don't go burn out, like completely burn out yeah. on it. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. But are there any boat, you know, books that float your boat? I mean, is there anything that you're really, you know, jazzed about or that you find you're really drawn to? Uh, me personally, not right now. Although I just found all my Star Trek novels in my attic, and I'm, <laughs> I just picked up the Lost Year ones, which I bought when I was like twelve and never read. So. 27 now, so it's time to read it. So I'm trying to jump out there. But um, what's the deal with Twilight? On our, our forum is completely crazed. Twilight's the new thing. Twilight's Twilight's the new... Um, the next squee. Yeah, the next squee. <laughs> well said, Scott. It, you know, it's it's going to be... I think it'll be bigger than Artemis Fowl, to be quite honest with you. Oh, yeah. It's like... Well, it's a different, it's a different thing, Different though. genre, yeah. Yeah, because it's more romance than it's more, necessarily, yeah. you know, plot. Where you know, whereas is is Harry Potter mm-hmm. is very plot hit. I mean, plot driven, and those books are very character romance driven. But I, it's almost like that. And the the fan base tends to be predominantly young women. It's not. Mm-hmm. Whereas with it's Harry not. Potter, you had I think a very equal amount of, of male-female in the, in the thing. But it really surprised me. I mean, I, what I usually do when I'm looking at YA is I'll go to fanfiction.net and I'll just see what are people are writing, you know, mm-hmm. the, the listings, and then be able to see, okay, what, what tends to be yeah. in that. What's, what's Scott, good? what about you? Is there anything that you're really into? Um, I'm not actually reading a whole lot as far as um, young adult stuff goes. Um, most, of, most of that has been fan fiction. I read various things there. The books that I'm reading for actual books are more contrasting things. They're light, fluff things, little mysteries or whatever. There's um, epic things. I've enjoyed a lot of Jack White recently. I don't know if you've heard of him or not. Um, yeah, but I'm not. I haven't looked into the young adult stuff for yeah. a little while. It'll be interesting. I think there is. I mean, I think it's a it's a great uh, area to write in because I think one fabulous to get young people to read. Period. And when I'm talking young people, I'm talking like you know young. When I'm talking like twelve, um, yeah. but and they're such ferocious. I mean, voracious readers. They just eat everything up. I mean, and they you know they can't get enough. And also, it's one of the few times that you really can get good plots anymore. Um, when, you know, otherwise, I mean, I, you know, memoir is really heavy these days and other things like that, but I mean, you know, it, we want a really good yarn sometimes. I mean, at the end of the day, when you're tired or anything like that, like James Michener always used to say, you know, at the end of the night, when women put my book on their tummies, they want a good, you know, they want a good yarn, they want a good romance, they want a good, you know, everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think the hard thing is, is having such an intricately great plot like the Harry Potter books did, we we I don't know if we'll see that li- are that like again. I mean, I've been reading, and my son's been reading, you know, for fun. What he loves is the Percy Jackson books because they're great for his age. You know, they're perfect for his age. Yeah. Um, and they are very plot driven, but they're not nearly, you know, the of the sweeping magnitude, you know, that Harry mm-hmm. Potter is. But they're just great, 
you know, wonderful books, especially for, you know, for boys. I mean, it's a great, it's a great hero. Well, I think but, it's the quality of the canvas because I think that you can do so much with the Harry Potter world that there's so much avenue for fan fiction, fan fiction authors to work with. Or it's like because of Star Trek, I'm my new obsession over the last couple of years has been Star Trek fan films because that canvas is just so huge. There's so much you can do with that and people are really doing some really interesting things with it that they couldn't have done 15 years ago. So, I think the, the where the market is heading now, especially fiction fiction movies, blah, blah, blah. I mean, people are looking for really good worlds because of the phenomenon of the internet. You know, I, we're, we're not only looking for a good story, you're looking for a good story that you can build a, a, a fan base around. Yeah. Because that, I mean, uh, that means uh, conventions, that means... You know, that means merchandise, that means, yeah, traffic across websites, that means power for the advertisers. I mean, it's all, I mean, not to dissect the Harry Potter phenomenon or whatever, but I, what it did to the world is kind of interesting too. And I think young adult fan, young adult fiction is, is probably the best place to be an author right now. Because you can do, because it, it's, it's limitless, I think. And, and people are, uh, books are making a comeback, and people are reading, mm-hmm. and reading a lot. Um, at least that's my experience. It's and, not even uh, necessarily but, the genre, but um, there is that, of course. But um, having Harry Potter have been a supposedly young adult book that people will read um, five or six hundred page books has mm-hmm. now let. Um, the, the young adult market, people can write um, longer and more complex stories and have them sell. Yeah, they're no longer. I think that, part of the, yeah, they were yeah. underestimating their their reader base. I think because I remember no, I being forced right. to read right, but- young adult fanfic, young adult fiction in high school, and wanting to absolutely blow my brains out because it was so. I mean, it was awful in the '90s. Young adult fanfic, young adult fiction, sorry, was awful. You know. Because it was just very simplistic. They were writing like they were writing for, you know, teenagers, but teenagers with no brains. And I think that Harry Potter kind of changed that. In, in, in that we'll see and realize that teenagers want to think, and they want to think critically about what they're reading. And that's, that's a good thing. Right. And also that, you know, to deal with certain, you know... It, it was always kind of verboten to touch certain themes or to do certain, mm-hmm. you know, to, uh, that you wouldn't, you know, you never, re, you know, would discuss or everything else like that. And and it's also interesting because, and I want to say it was a wholesome world because it is to a certain extent. I mean, if you're going to compare it to like Gossip Girl versus Harry Potter, God forbid, um, you know, do yeah. that analogy. I mean, the Harry Potter world was a pretty wholesome world, which always like I would get so, like, talk about lunatic crazy when people are going off about, you know, all the psychos going off at, you know, Harry Potter this and Harry Potter that. Right. And I'm like, yeah, well, oh, your kids God are reading gossip. That's worse. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, let's talk about loyalty. Let's talk about friendship. Let's right. talk about, you know, perseverance. Let's talk about, you know, love Dealing in with the midst death of death in healthy ways. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, uh, you know, oh, God, it was just. Well, the people oh. who say that also don't read the books, but they've heard. Right, which is worse, you right. know. Which is, oh, I would, I'd be screaming, you know, I'd be like one of those crazy women screaming at my television set, you know, that I had, you know, should be living with thirty-seven cats, and just screaming at my television set. But I'd be just like seeing these things. I'd be like, oh my 
God, you know, for God's sakes. I mean, first of all, it gets kids, like, just like you said, to read 700 pages in a weekend. And um, I don't care if they're reading Necromancer, for God's sakes. If it's going to read 700 pages, I mean, read it. And um, and then it just, you know, it, the lessons that it teaches, and it teaches it without really teaching it. You know, it doesn't hit yeah. you over the head with it. It lets you get to it, lets you learn it. Right. Um, and that, what I think is the most powerful type of writing, you know, that it's not lecturing you. But you grow, and and that she grew him. I mean, I knew a lot of people that reacted very poorly to Order of the Phoenix Mm -hmm. because they they didn't like Harry at that time. And I'm like, well, how many boys that age have you lived with? You know, she got him right. Um, You know, she really. My brother was 15. (laughs) When my brother was 15, he was Harry Potter. Seriously, (laughs) just flying off about nothing and everything. I, saw, I, was, I was told him, I was like, don't girls, I said, girls, isn't puberty supposed to be awful for girls? <laughs> and you're just as bad as I was. Yeah, but I, 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 yeah. And I, I thought I, you it know, was very so, accurate. So I think what we, you know, so, so she, what your, your job now is to fill this void. Well, I, I would like, to, well, <laughs> crossing lines is probably not for teenagers. <laughs> I will say that. It's more of a, I mean, I'm, I was, I set out to write a Christine Feehan, uh, JD Robb, Nora Roberts, um, you know, the Sherilyn Kennan, those people that are writing, um, but not as heavy, it didn't turn out to be as heavy on the romance side as I anticipated. But, um, I mean, I suppose you could market it as a young adult novel. You would just, cause they don't actually, nope, there's no sex. Nobody ever sleeps with each other. They get pretty close. There's a lot of cursing, oh, but I suppose that's a, fine. You can do it as a YA. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. Even if they did, you could. <laughs> yeah, that's um, true. But, it's, I mean, but it's yeah. got vampires and werewolves, so with my luck, it'll probably be. And it's not, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not out, I don't set out to sell a store, uh, to, you know, if there's a theme, it, it kind of explores the, the murkiness of the issue of vampirism. But, um, other than that, I mean, there's not really a whole. I mean, there's not a moral issue at its at stake, really. Right. Other than there's a serial killer on the loose. Other. Well, than other that. than that. Yeah. Well, I'd read it. Folds <laughs> 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 Oh God. Yeah. Well, you guys it must be extremely late for you because it's eleven thirty for me. What time is it for you guys now? Uh, what time is it here? It's two thirty right here. So. Oh my God. For me. We're actually in all time zones. You're in. You're on the west coast. We're on a string. Yeah, Scott's <laughs> Mountain. She's Central. I'm Eastern. Oh God. Well, the running gag is that my fiance just moved back to Massachusetts, and she had gone to pastry school in uh, New York City, so she got a job the third shift at a little bakery. They put her in charge, and she's doing everything she likes. <laughs> so I'm actually looking here. I'm like, well, if I stay up another two hours, she'll actually be home from work. Did she bring stuff home? Oh, yeah, well, now she is. She went there, and she's changed all the recipes around, so now the food's really good. So she's starting to bring stuff home. So. Oh, excellent. So, <laughs> actually, Chi, you're the fangirl. You close out the podcast. Oh, okay. Well, uh, we want to say thank you to uh, Whimsy or Sarah or H. Whimsy or whatever you want to call her. <laughs> and uh, thank you for um, letting us cover your fic and, and letting us interview you. And not only letting us cover your fic, but, but being so willing and so enthusiastic to answer any and all questions and, you know, 
Um, she hasn't heard the podcast he, yet. She. That's true. <laughs> I mean, but you know, she not only said yes, but she said yes very enthusiastically, and I think that that uh, that's that's nice. I'm doing that thing now where I'm trying to remember what we said. <laughs> <laughs> In our minds, is there any last thing you'd want the listeners to know about the story? We haven't. Oh well, sort no. First of all, over? it's been a really pleasure. Thank you so much. I've had a wonderful time, and oh, thanks so much for inviting me on. It's just, it's an honor. But no, I mean, I'd love for people to, you know, I'm always encouraging people to get out and write themselves. You know, write yourself. You know, if you love to write, just get out and do it. Fan fiction's a great forum to do that. You know, find yourself a great beta. And um, and go ahead and, and you know the more that's out there, the more we want to read, and um, and like we talked about themes. I mean, it all you know, it's all about you know forgiveness and talking to each other, and 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 that story is, is it's the real basis of the story. And it's uh, it was a pleasure to write, and I had a lovely time doing it, and I'm really glad that people were entertained reading it. So. Um, dumpsters aside and um, magic sperm aside, I'm glad. Magic sperm aside. We love the magic sperm. What are you talking about? Sounds like an ad. Magic sperm aside. Um, it, it, it's been a it's been a thrill. So thanks so much, guys. Oh no problem. I hope you enjoyed the podcasts, and and I just hope we said complimentary things. We certainly so I can't remember. Oh, oh great. I'm sure I'll be fine. I wish okay. we did. All right, thanks so much. No problem, and keep hanging out in our forums because we're all crazy and we all live there. So, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, guys. No problem. Bye. Have a great night. Bye bye. Bye bye. We'll just be glad the four track was broke that day because you grabbed a guitar and I heard you say that the top of the pops better get ready for the new hit single from the Weasler goes remember.